Hello, Crash Chordsians, and welcome to the Crash Chords Podcast. It is the second day of our five-day podcast extravaganza. I'm your host, Steve. I'm John. And I'm Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. And happy two weeks and a day after the 4th of July. Really? Yep. That, that's what we're doing here? Yep. This seems like a lame excuse to fix a problem that we may or may not have had on an actual recording oh, of this podcast. calling attention. I'm just saying, you know, mm. gotta call a spade a spade. We may actually talk about how we operate and do this show at some point in the future. And really, we could just wish them a happy 4th of July, like, every day this week. Sure, why not? Yeah. Freedom, well, America. America! All that stuff. No, you said it wrong. In fact, we are going to be celebrating the 4th of July by talking about our favorite subject, Dark Age England. That's... I don't know the context where that I'm not going to go to jail for this, right? That's not like uh, treason. I mean, no. it depends. With our president, anything yeah, can be treason. Oh. Also, I want to just comment, Crash Cordians? Cordians. I don't know. I don't, fandoms usually name themselves. Well, they're not... I refuse to call them fans. They're listeners. Well, if they listen to us religiously, they're fans. Eh, so we just have listeners. I, I, yeah, I'd rather <laughs> use that designation no, for no, listeners. Th- if they listen to us religiously, then we have a cult. I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. I'm totally okay with that. According to Creed Bratton, I have been in a cult both as a leader and a follower. You make more money as a leader, but you have more fun as a follower. It's an office joke. No one wants the office Oh, anymore. yeah, no. no I well, I checked no. that at season five, but that's an early season office quote. Yeah, no, okay, still no. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Sorry. Well, did you I'm with laugh? You on, I'm with did you, on, you laugh? <laughs> no, no. I'm with you on The Simpsons, but The Office, you lose me. Well, yeah. that's sad. Well, yeah. um, can we talk about Dark Age England? I yeah, suppose. I'm, I mean, we've never really said no to a topic before. And uh, he kind of forced us because he made us listen to it, so it's not like we can, you know, table that discussion. That's Otherwise, true. we're not going to be talking about anything this week. <laughs> we're talking about Richard Dawson this week. I always want to say Richard Dawkins. Me so. too. I don't. No, I'm good with Dawson. All right, all right, all right. So John's just not a part of me and your wavelength, Matt. Yes. Uh, even though you weren't before, and I was on my own wavelength. This sucks. <laughs> I'm very alone. Anyway, Richard Dawson, not Richard Dawkins. I'm sure he actually gets that a lot from other people. Nevertheless, this week, the mission was not find anything avant-garde or psychedelic necessarily, though there actually are some crosses into both. The mission was just simply weird and wild. Um, But this is just its own animal. Don't try to cross it into too much else, even though it really ends up being folk in the end. Like I said, Dark Age England. And there's definitely more than a spoonful of traditional elements present, namely guy, guitar, singing about stuff, more than a modicum of minstrelsy, Hence Dark Age England, but not of the prog and metal kind, more of just the general folk kind, though you'll cross into that stuff too. Let's just leave all that at the door. There's not the camp value that you find, I think, in some of the minstrelsy songs that you get in metal, where it's like they want to pretend that they're minstrels, but they're really not, because none of the instrumentation matches. And I mean, I would argue that there are moments on this track that feel very minstrelly, for sure. Well, the minstrelly, yeah, but I don't know. Do you find the camp value? Oh, uh, I don't know. I guess I'll have to address that as we get to it. Okay. I'm not, uh, it's specific that's, that's, examples, I think. We got a couple hours. Don't yeah. worry about it. Anyway, that's about where the traditional elements break down. Uh, content, too, is a little bit traditional. We'll come back to that in a moment. But my favorite part of Richard Dawson's story as a musician is, I suspect, in part, the reason for his weird and wild nature. It's actually a two-part story. The first being that his professional career began fairly late. 
that is, I assume he was singing early on and maybe he'd been playing here and there, but his day job for like 10 years was not music, the industry of music, it was working in record stores, so he's selling music to other people. And that's actually, when you think about it, a uniquely advantageous perch from which to launch a career. And I don't mean business-wise, I mean art-wise, exposure-wise, because he was around a lot of music, perhaps just taking it all in before putting it all out there. Playing the long game, as it were, a phrase that I'm actually borrowing from a great article and video series about people who found latent success, tagline being, if you haven't created a masterpiece by 30, you're not a failure. I kind of want to add the word necessarily in that <laughs> quote. But uh, there's the other half of the story, and that is uh, when Richard Dawson finally went to buy a guitar, a cheap nylon string guitar, he broke it. Like, I assume very soon after he bought it, and so he had to go get it returned, but then when it came back, it didn't quite sound the same. It had some uniqueness, some little oddity about it. And lo and behold, he continues to use that odd, serendipitous guitar as his primary instrument. So... There you have it. He already had an ear for what sounded unique, I guess just from years of working in record stores, and then he was bestowed something fiercely unique to experiment with. That's pretty lucky. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, it it's all perspective, I feel like, because True. someone else would have taken a broken guitar and went, damn, this thing's broken. I'm going to go get another guitar. Ah, so but he that's didn't. not luck. That is his choice. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's less about luck and more about perspective and optimism and personality. And I think his playing style for sure speaks to that. Glad you brought it to that. I, one might say I was towing you to that exact point. Okay. <laughs> then you were a success. All right, well. And also took advantage of me. I hate you. I, uh, <laughs> I'm a, he, no, he, he thinks I'm a manipulative bastard. Well, that is probably it's true. true. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> more than a little bit. More than I can't refute bit. it necessarily, uh, but I will say that I would have been drawn to the story had it been before our advocacy rule or afterwards. Because having listened, I I do kind of quiver as to how this would be discussed today uh, because there is that traditional veneer, but I find it just as much sonically bizarre and wonky here as I would find like in an Electronica album. Um, whereas I and John have frequently said the entire sonic universe is basically up for grabs in an Electronica album, but you do sacrifice one thing in that environment, and that is a little bit of humanity. I'm not going to agree to that. Well, okay. In that case, uh, we'll have more arguments to come. Yeah, we'll Definitely have more arguments. That's the point of this place, isn't it? Well, no. Constructive uh, um, arguments. Debate? Arguments are roundtable discussion. Well, roundtable discussion does not promote contention, and we need. Please a don't bit. argue about arguing. Please <laughs> don't do this to me. Pretty meta. All right. Well, I, I have actually been looking for something more acoustic lately, so that's the other part of it. It doesn't just have to do with the organic. It just has to do with I don't know. That's the sound I've kind of been wanting. So I guess that was on the brain, and. I don't know, if you're going to talk, if you are going to talk organic, this album isn't just organic to me, it's wild and untamed. And considering wild and untamed, I'd say that's a pretty good jumping off point for our album cover, because, well, first of all, the album is called Peasant. Um, this is like, I don't know, his seventh or eighth album? He's had a few albums at this point. Six or seven. Six I want to say seven. six. Six. From what I've been reading, but I don't have the wiki up. His first one was called, oh, what was it, Richard Dawson sings and plays guitar? Yeah, yeah it was pretty effect. straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. Basic, yeah. Well, all right. He's a little more uh, 
less verbose, and it is called Peasant by Richard Dawson. I guess that's the peasant on the front. So the album cover is uh, a picture of a wooded area with the word peasant in disjointed lettering across the top and Richard Dawson below it. Um, and then there's this red figure. Clearly looks humanoid, but it, it it almost looks like a deformed kind of cartoon character. Donald Duck. It's Donald Duck with Mickey's pants. That's what I see, like, pretty, sure. pretty hardcore. I mean, I, I, can, I can see that because it looks like there's a beak and the shoes are very round. The pants uh, billow out like Mickey's pants tend to. But that said, it's clearly not anything. It is, however, a red figure holding the tree and dirtied, you know, on his pants, his arm, and his it, feet. His it, feet almost look kind of like they're hooves, though. Like, maybe he's a satyr of some kind. Right. But it doesn't look like they're colored, or have lack of color in this place, to be black. I think they're muddied and dirtied. Like, he's been wandering through the woods for a while. He or she, it. That effect that's going on with the figure itself is almost... Um like a colorizing effect off of an old piece of film or an old photograph itself. And not like the photo, but the negative. Like the negative itself was slightly damaged, so it was adding additional shading effects, like burn effects on top of it. I've seen artwork like this before, um, and that's usually where it's drawing from, at least for me. That to me, the, the figure itself, the figure is your focal point after Peasants. I actually see Peasants as... Uh, the title a little bit more prominently only because it is higher up and it's like someone befuddled Comic Sans. I was going to say Comic Sans and I had a feeling someone was going to notice it besides me. But the real interesting part I find for the cover itself is the backdrop and the fact that it's a wooded backdrop. It's um, It looks like it may have been taken after like a freeze or an overnight frosting. So the effect of the trees themselves, the bare branches, gives the the cover a crinkled effect, like someone crushed up paper and then smoothed yeah. it back out. That, to me, is actually a little bit more... I'm, enticing is not the word. Provocative, maybe. Because it, 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 sh it showcases a very unfurled effect. Like, this was a thought that came back out, that you had to, you know, dig through the trash and find again, and then laid back out. Try to smooth it out, and then you put your finishing touches on top of it. That contrast between the two pieces, not just, you know, real still photography and a cartoon, but just how clear-cut the figurine's lining is done versus how how faded and how washed through the effects of the coloration of the photo itself. I, I like the, the contrast between the two. Well, to go back to something earlier you said, I think it's more just because of the fact that it might be a morning after a frost. Yeah. If you said it's frost, then of course you have this light coming from kind of a, a low angle because it also looks like it's dawn, in which case you have that light kind of shimmering, gleaming right off of all those little frost droplets just sitting on every single bare branch, and that makes there, it looks like there's a considerable amount of detail here. Like, yes. there's a lot of, just to produce this digitally, you need a lot of pixels. I would actually love to have this particular album cover blown up, like, massive size, you know, 5,000, 6,000 pixels, something crazy like that. But the overall coloration of the piece itself is very much towards a gray-blue, browns, and yellows. So it, it seems to have some sort of after effect, because you, you'd really expect a lot more in nature, even during the winter, as far as general hues, considering how detailed everything is in the photo itself. I do think there's some artistic liberty here, although you get a little bit of color on the left-hand side, like this is just the, the end of fall, the, the last few leaves that just haven't quite fallen. Yeah, a little bit of just the red leaves, specifically yeah. the red leaves. Only, on the, says, only on the left and the bottom, that's it. 
And uh, bringing it back to the figure in this uh, this more or less center of the album, what's interesting about the bolding uh, black outline of the characters, it gives this image that a lot of red does on other backgrounds where it kind of pops out this faux 3D feel. And I'm getting that here because of how the how stark the red is and how the outline goes around the figure. Um, it makes it pop out a bit, and it draws my focus to it. It gives a, uh, a solid bullseye for the piece itself. So if you were to line out pieces of artwork, your, your eye would be more likely to be drawn to something like this, where you have heavy contrast, heavy color differential between the center and the outside edges. And it does allow you to get a... Um, even at a distance, the ability to pick it up from a lineup of different pieces that have, may have similar backdrops, when you focus so heavily on going from a bluish and very light pale yellow to a center-heavy red, it, it, it works to catch your eye. I, exactly I would notice this, this yeah. from a distance. I actually, this is one of my favorite album covers in quite a few weeks. I've had some where we're just kind of like, eh, it's nice, sort of. But this this actually does capture the feel that I think is going to bring us very uh, easily into the first track. It, at least for me. You guys might, might disagree. But let's just kick it off with track one, Herald, which... Well, it's a little bit interesting because, you know, on my first listen, I didn't really know that this album was going to lean more folk, uh, folk of any variety, if that's any amount of spoiler. Nevertheless, folk is not really what you get in this track at all. This track is essentially a reveille, if only for the variety of brass present. No folk anywhere to be seen, but it's not like a reveille of the loud and obnoxious, you know, snap to it, men fall in line kind of nature. It's a reveille of nature. It, it's it's morning, the sun is rising, you're alive and the day is yours. And so to me it was profoundly peaceful and yet really stirring at the same time. Like Grieg meets William Walton meets John Coltrane. All those moods but in a fairly simple brass quartet. And the name Harold is kind of on the nose for a tra first track, just because you're heralding, heralding the day, the, the day, start, whatever. But I do think that a lot of lend a lot lends to that also because this is a track for the first time in a while we have a fade in. Typically we have fade outs in a mm -hmm. lot of tracks, but here we've got a fade in. So the horns coming in with the fade in, it reminds me of a lot of yeah. um, cartoons in the early day, like do 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 do. You know when like the 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 cock would crow and right. like you know the sun would come up, you would have that kind of fade in rise with horns and, and also. And, and Instrumentation. All the, a lot of those old cartoons used to use "Morning" by Grieg, which right. is why I mentioned Grieg. Right, and so like I'm already picturing something because it's reminding me of that piece. And I just want to give a little bit of a preview as far as the titling goes: Peasant, Herald, Ogre, Soldier. Every single title is. Well, really close to a profession, if not an outright profession. I, and I, they're not the peasant, the ogre. The prostitute. It is just prostitute. It's almost a um, a Canterbury Tales kind of a feel and as also far as titling goes. I had picked too. up on that thing, and I, I I wasn't sure about Harold, but I didn't think of that yet yeah. in terms of the I guess the job of it. Well, yes, you you don't speak as a Harold. A Harold no. announces. Yes. So this yeah. track announces the album. Well done. <laughs> and I want to announce a few things about the brass here. Well, that's the only thing you get. You get brass. And I am kind of a sucker for brass in general, but I do want to uh, admit a little bit of, well, curiosity. There's some questions that I can't answer, at least not by ear. The thing that I can't be sure about here, um, because brass is, even though I love it, it's not really my field of expertise, and yet it gets me every time, is how everything's divided up. It's the same questions we always have. Like, is it 
trombone? Is it trumpet leaning toward the former here? Actually, trombone, because we actually screwed that up in Prager and we made the trombonist feel bad, but they were good sports about it. But in that case, is it all just one? Is it all of the other? Is it something else entirely? I don't know. Is it one performer, maybe performing multiple uh, tracks in multiple takes? Or is this a true ensemble? I simply don't know, but if I were to bet, I would say trombone because of the variety of color that we're hearing. There must be some form of mute present, an external mute, even though I always want to call them mufflers, like automotive mufflers. Anyway, I could be wrong that they're, that they're mutes. Maybe it's all just technique. But, you know, trombone players can get great vibrato just out of the slider without even needing, you know, much of a mute or that lip shake that we always hear in the trumpets. Trombones can do that just because of the nature of the instrument itself. And that's in part what makes this track so moving, is the multitude of vibratos and these slow oscillations between one note and the other. But the other part sort of brings in the theory of it, the complexity of these chords. It probably sounds more complex than it really is, but there's tons of dissonance packed into what should be a thoroughly warm, inviting, and pleasant chord. But it's just on the edge of being a little too dense when you consider the liberal use of that vibrato. Assume that it's two trombones and the slider kind of allows them to stray away from each other in just these little microtones, right before writing themselves again and then sort of straying away again. That's a very compelling setup and it feels very, very, it feels very swelling. And then of course there's also the stop-start uh, nature of it, the stop-start tendency. Like, there are extremely natural breaths in this, almost as if they were instructed to take it just about to their limit as, as much as they can breathe out, and then, you know, one of them stops for maybe three seconds, takes a deep breath, and then comes back in, and yet you still have the other trombone going straight through all that, because they time it so that way you never hear a full, complete breath, at least not for a while into this track. And that is a very human, organic thing, which goes back to the point I was making earlier. It's, it's just a very human quality to feel that there are these natural breaths and then you just burst with all your might. I don't find this so much in electronica music, and this is a, a perfect way uh, to start off this record. I mean, I'm inclined to to focus on the tail end of the track. I thought the please do the 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 beginning of the track and the middle were interesting, but when we get to the shorter, more blunt blips and the shortened uh, tones that you were talking about briefly, to me it starts to sound like almost an animal interaction. Talking about nature, it sounds to me like these are animals chirping at each other, or or you know whatever other sound that animals make. But it 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 does sound because they're so shortened, that they're reactionary with breath moments between them. There is a little bit of a transition though, where like right before that, you can hear some of the spaces being cut out before you hear it being like completely cut out, as right. I said. So it's originally, you know, it flows all together in the beginning, and then there's a part where it, it, it's almost like it were written in methodic four-part harmony, but then that flow was gutted one piece at a time. The, the smooth transitions in the middle are just kind of chopped away, so the spaces in the voice leading sort of stand out like a sore thumb as one instrument kind of clunkily runs out of breath and takes that two to three second, you know, deep breath and then bursts out again. It's It brings dynamics to the chord themselves in the absence of a melody, but then it, it, you find it gets sparser and sparser and sparser until it's right down to that sort of conversation uh, that you described. I, I, I saw it as kind of a, just people fooling around in the studio, really. It, I, I will agree with that, but I don't really hear it as a conversation. I've I was a little bit too ingrained as hearing it as an announcement, 
as a uh, almost a fanfare in the beginning that as it falls apart i i want to liken it to so much else of this album another little preview um but the reason i'm doing this preview is because i have a question it, it has a lot of the same characters that show up later on in the album. Even in the very next track, we're going to see the same sort of character show up. In that there's a lot of clipping, there's a lot of almost like miss keys. When you when you take a melody and really chop out middle parts of it, when you chop out a lot of you know the flow, it it starts sounding like miss keys. I like that. I like that effect. In fact, this piece by itself is very enticing and very quizzical for an opener. It is a great way to grab somebody's attention and make you start questioning everything before you even get like the thick compositional content, the thicker, more story-oriented pieces we're going to get, or the deeper, broader spectrum of instrumentation. It's giving you questions right up front that in some ways don't get answered, and I like that. But one question I'm going to keep going back to about this piece, whenever I think of this album, is why horns? Why horns? Specifically because this is the only time, really, horns show up on the album. Everything else is centered around the guitar with uh, a bit of a rhythm section, a bit of a drum section that shows up in most tracks, but not completely. Horns seem to be gone from the rest of the album. So for the actual instrumentation, I understand its connection to Harold, but its connection to the album as a whole leaves me scratching my head. Well, I could give you the short answer or the long answer, but... We'll start with short. No, we'll start with Matt. (laughs) Well, so for the short answer, it would be exactly what you said. It's connected to Harold. Harold often uses a horn, and so that's why they're using horns. And... That, considering where this is supposed to take place and the setting, if you will, I did air quotes because you can't see that, audience, mm-hmm. um, that's enough. It, I don't it, need it, it to be more connected than that. I understand instrumentally how it feels like it's separate from the other instrumentation on the record, but I think it's meant to lean on the actual definition. Th- that's why, indeed, if it is, you know, trombones, the way they're sort of using that little vibrato effect and just the slider, it makes it sound a lot more old world than it is, you know? The king approacheth the kind of thing. Exactly. And it just kind of takes you back to the time period that he really wants to get you to. Um, probably the better question, though I am going to fill in my longer answer here is exactly what the gap is at the very, very end, considering it does get so disjointed. That's the part which I think you very correctly categorized as quizzical. Yes. And I think that (laughs) that part is a little tricky because there are quizzical elements to the remainder of this album, but I think that musically speaking, I enjoyed the fact that there was suddenly no more illusion of this being a kind of majestic by-the-numbers quartet, where you are setting up the story from a very detached, removed perspective, and then it slowly starts putting you in the place where things will be imperfect. Even more imperfect than that sort of uh, weird string uh, double trombone vibrato thing was. It's like the sheet music was actually just cut off from them, and then they're just, you know, goofing around for the remainder. Low, mid, high. It's a gassy, gaseous breast section after a meal. And then they become less and less frequent until the very, very bitter end. And then we go into track two, Ogre, where I'm going to kind of try to tie this together in... uh, 
a certain way before I continue with the track itself. Because first of all, the most obvious thing in Ogre is that here's your folk. This is everything that I guess was kind of advertised surrounding this album, and I started to see that this comprises most of the album. But you can definitely appreciate here, as uh, a first-time listener, the first go-around, why this was a little unexpected after track one, because I didn't know it was going to be folk. So that was a little bit of a jarring moment, and I'll agree with that. But I also had mixed emotions, because while I did have worries that this was going to be taken in more of like, you know, uh, if he was going to choose the folk route, we were going to lose some of the uniqueness of track one and we weren't going to see that again. It's true. We don't see that again. More on that later. I do want to stress first how it did not sound detached in any way because the genre shift to me is completely moot, despite things we've said about, you know, other albums. Tone to me is really what's far more important. And if I believed then that I had awoken to a beautiful sunrise peeking from the horizon through the cracks of this dense wood, this dense forest depicted on the album cover, then this track now convinces me that I'm fully awake, I've had a good breakfast, and it's time to gallivant around this forest that is my home and home of my ancestors and have adventures and tell stories. Track one is for appreciating the majesty of the wilderness and that brief moment of contemplation that accompanies waking up. But track two, musically, is just a Thursday in the days of yore. Around 11.15 anyway. <laughs> in the morning. Uh, I'd actually probably say maybe maybe like 8. You got up early. All right, true, then. true. Um, one thing that I, that I do agree, it doesn't feel like it's really departing thematically. And while I'm, I'm always going to say, why horns? I will say that the overall mood, and that's what I kind of previewed, the overall mood and the stylistic choice of this opening I want to say fanfare, because it feels like it's still trying to perform something bardic more than anything else. There is definitely a skip in its step, and this is mostly just the first 20 seconds. It's a guitar, and it sounded like a uh, guitar and violin, uh, just those two instruments. Very minstrel-oriented at this point, very bard-oriented. Um, I actually really do love that chord, though, that we linger on just at the tail end there. It's 16 seconds. A bit of foreshadowing in there, I think, before the uh, this weird, wonky-sounding guitar takes us through this ominous transition. And I think it's about time we describe exactly how this guitar comes across to us. I described that it was broken. I don't know in what way it was broken. I don't know what circumstances led to him, you know, uh, breaking it, What, how it was repaired, that it would suddenly sound so weird. But... It is kind of an uncanny valley for me, if that's the correct expression here, because it's so close to sounding like a completely normal guitar. And I do I think it begs the question, would I have recognized this as having an odd quality had I not read that it did? It, I, I find it to be in, in the decay of the chords feels like there's something off there. It's... Specifically like they're in the in, resonance. That's actually a good point. Almost like they're in tune when they strike, and then they start to get out of tune as exactly. they decay. Exactly. I don't know if that's possible, uh, but, you know. It's a very unique texture um, to, to treat your album as a whole, or your piece as a whole, to have that. That's your forefront. That's your voice. Before you have any other voice, that's your voice. That's what's going to be rising the crowd for a piece like this. So it's a very unique way to approach it, to have something that... It, it, it seems like it falls out of tune. That is, that's the key to it. And for it to keep falling out of tune, to keep decaying, is going to be just a little askew of your standard piece. I, I do think that's a good observation. I, I had a different observation, um, if I'm going to answer my own rhetorical question. I probably should. And that's, uh, I, I guess if I was, like, asked point blank, you know, um, 
like, does this sound weird to you without ever having read anything? I probably would have just said something more like, it sounds like an old, cheap guitar. Poorly tuned, so that goes hand in hand with your thing. But the other thing that I uh, felt was maybe equally as present was some oddball resonance of certain ranges of the instrument. Like, it has a very, very muddy low end uh, that's probably better avoided for the long haul in the entirety of the album. Otherwise, you'd get really weird weird effects there. It'd probably muddy up the rest. But it has a very, very good mid-range, just kind of a room-temperature guitar. But as muddy as the low range get, the high range seems to really be extremely warped to the point where it can't complete phrases the way you would expect a, a guitar to ring out. So it's 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 just I don't know. It might just be the a warping in the guitar itself. Like it's physically shaped improperly at this point. It, it could be that. It could also be some some portion of this probably also should be the mixing. But I just wanted to get that out on the guitar because there's not a whole variety of instrumentation in this piece. It's more like you know sound effects and color, and we'll get to that stuff. But if you cover the guitar now, you're kind of covering that for the rest of the album. We can talk about you know uh, structure. Right, and and the structure is a little bit odd at first with this one. Um, as far as we get after this intro that was very detailed and described, because um, that's what we do here, it does take this shift to this kind of mystical and mythical feel, which, again, we were talking folk, we're talking about Dark Ages, and so it makes sense to kind of head that direction. But when the vocals come in on the first verse, or what we're calling the first verse, we're hmm. calling it the first verse, right? Yeah, okay. I, no, uh, all right. No, we're going we're gonna to start with this discussion because okay. I think structure <laughs> is going to be a pretty huge component of where we might both agree and disagree at the same time. The matter of what it is obviously comes down to what it was in his head when he wrote this and how he sort of structured it out for his own writing process. But then, of course, people want to attribute any, any number of criteria to them. We all want to you know, see what is the verse and what is the chorus just for our own frame of reference. And this, to me, I guess struck me as a chorus at first, but of course it's not a chorus that's going to be like a refrain. We're not going to hear these same words again. It, it really begins the story, and it does so in at least one major element of a chorus fashion, that's the fact that you have kind of a choir. It doesn't begin with Richard Dawson himself, or I imagine he's a component of this, but it sounds like there's several other voices. Um, in which case, I've described them as a worse-for-wear community choir. They're just like the folks. They're, they're not trained singers. They're the townsfolk. Now, you know what? They're the Hamlet folk, because that's how small this community is in my head. That's how old world this is. And then over that, what are they singing? They're singing what is an extremely long melody here that I'm an absolute sucker for, so it doesn't quite have that hook quality of a chorus. They're just singing with the the sort of slow and complex in the long form, but kind of punchy in the short term sort of fashion, and that links me back to it being a chorus. And then also, it's got a huge amount of pep to start off. It's got that drum, which is just kind of a slapdash skin on wood but stained with like the blood of its previous owner carved from the felled tree that was struck down in the great storm. I know I'm really hamming it up, but it's kind of interesting because he is not hamming it up despite a verse that, well, I'll I'll read it in a moment. The very fact though that this first opening vocalization is more akin to say the opening scene of I, B movies did it more often, but like a B movie 1980s fantasy, like they're going to be doing Richard the Lionheart or Robin Hood or King Arthur or something like that. Like the opening scene to give you a setting. That's exactly what it's describing here. A setting, a place of where you're going to go. 
But it is, once again, like Steve said, it's a long-form setting. It is a lot of description and a lot of colorization that I wouldn't really expect from something that is supposed to be quote, chorusy. That's supposed to be a refrain of some sort. It has a lot of qualities but it's of the chorus, but it also has a lot of qualities of just exposition work, as in the 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 rest of the play is coming together and explaining where we're going to start at at this journey. That's a very good point, because it begins in the kingdom of Brynik, verging on a muddy crook of coquet or coquette, a, die, a dice of houses cast with clay and sheep dung through a soup of starlit peat smoke gradually emerges as we descend. And just that sort of boom, 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 boom in the background. It sounds very emphatic. So in that case, yeah, you're right. I completely agree. It's exposition, but it's, it's um, it feels like something that should be coming back. Like they should be going back to the section. They do it only once in the track. And they don't do it as... And they never bring back the lyrics either. Well, it's, it's not just that, but it's not even a callback when they come back to it. It's not a we're still there or we're moving along from this. It's, it's, it's more exposition work when we come back in verse 3 or verse A, version 2. Yeah, I a, don't know. A prime. No, yeah, that's I, a I would prime. call it a prime. Um, there comes frightful news from the town of great evil abound. The heartbroken potter's idiot boy was snatched from the spelt field. Spelt field? Not sure what I, field I, that I, is. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Scouring a fortnight in the hills, all they found pointing from a set a small gray hand. Like that, that, that still doesn't speak to me as chorus work. So it's a weird position that we're in in discussing the way this is working. I think there is a little bit of a, mm, I don't want to say mismatch, but between like, I I don't want to like set in stone that choruses have to be of a specific, you know, there should be checkboxes. There should go through these checkboxes every day these days. Exactly. Which is why I'm very comfortable with just saying a and leaving it with that. Let's go to, uh, well, verse two, whatever you want to call it, or at least this is unquestionably a verse, uh, our B section for the sake of it. And this has just Richard Dawson himself, who let's get into his vocals, because this is another huge component of this record. He himself sounds like he broke, got repaired, and came back a little odd. Yeah, his vocals break quite a bit. Um, he's a little all over the place. It feels a little sporadic. It's actually rem- reminiscent for me of Les Claypool and kind of what he's always done with Primus. He's kind of always been deep and then high and then all over the place. Though I would argue that Les Claypool is a little more methodic in it because he does stay in a place for a while usually within and like shifts from verse to chorus. Well, that should tell you how this guy is that you actually called Les Claypool methodic. Right. That was said. This on air because this here does feel at least initially crazy just ridiculous yeah see it i didn't i did, that's where I, I will stop you well all right all right no, ridiculousness so, without comedy right it's not comically ridiculous it's just ridiculous in the sense of holy crap what's happening like just almost astonishment because it's just unfamiliar to hear a singer sing in this way it, yeah because you know it's like you have a microphone it's a very high quality that you're, you're in the studio your time is money you know and yet and, you're wailing like this at times but of course i i would just want to present this for yeah it, it sounds comedic but at the same time the effect of it on me was a, a truly quite real. I, I I think his choices here, and we may differ about this in, in certain instances on the album, but to me, there was something about his vocals that brought out the pain in, like, certain moments. It brought out 
I think the setting that he wanted to convey, and of course, well, you don't really have time for people in the dark ages to go through Berkeley Music School before they're going to start singing by the creek or, or you know, traveling the, the a black plague-ridden town, you know, with their loot. It, they're just It's going to sound a little bit off, but yet at the same time, it's their version of like, hey, this is the best singer we got in the town because no one else even knows what music is. They only hear it once a month or something. It, it's just a very, you know, it's the it's the dark ages. This is just this this time where you don't have a lot of frame of reference, and I think you'd be very glad to hear it. Which doesn't mean that I'm off put by what I'm hearing, but it does mean that the performance art of it to me is extremely successful, and it even goes beyond that in later in later instances. You use a descriptor that I actually want to harp on because I don't feel it right now, not in this point, and that is the word pain. I didn't feel pain. In fact, I felt a lot of the opposite going on right here. It felt rough but verbose. It felt like it was forceful. It felt confident. He is portraying the ogre here in a lot of ways. In fact, um, Genius puts quotes around certain words and certain phrases that he has with his verses, his solo verses, because it's, it's almost from the point of view of the ogre. So he is presenting something or someone that is strong, powerful, evil, potentially evil, because I'm not quite sure feeling that, but definitely something that can be a little bit on the terrible side. Well, I also don't want to completely lock it all in as being just his vocal inflection. A lot of it is the melody that he wrote around this that sort of makes you feel like it's a little odd, because, you know, just the beginning there, bring the goose, my child, like, that's awkward phrasing. But yet you combine that awkwardness with his awkward inflection, and it's just all around... I feel like I am in that room temperature environment where it's just he's singing. To me, there's no audience present, but yet I'm enjoying it for that reason. It feels, interestingly enough, considering this surrounds, you know, delusions of minstrelsy, it feels extremely unpretentious. It was specifically when when you brought up that inflection of my child, that attack that he has on the word my, my yeah, it breaks. shows a no, but it shows a, a lot of possession in it to my ears. Mm. And that possessive nature as we go along with this story, the way he's he's giving commands, he's not asking, he's telling. That possession that shows up there, that's where that little bit of terribleness is really showing <laughs> up. That that power is showing up in just the little breaks of inflection that he's putting in these very solo sections, verse 2, 4, and 5, I think, are his solos. It's there where I feel like the character is really showing up. Right. And I, I want to say at this point in the album, I was a little confused. A <laughs> little? Oh, oh, <laughs> I'm being kind here. I think, well, I, I wouldn't say flat out that I disliked his vocals or the instrumentation. I was definitely, at least initially, a little put off by it only because... It's rare that you hear both vocals and instrumentation that are kind of off kilter with intent. It's not completely uncommon. We've done comedy. We've also done a variety of musicians and singers who are a little off or a little weird or a little strange. But definitely the combine, combination of the two, also with how aggressive the volume feels sometimes in those chorusy moments, like you're being assaulted by the sound, not necessarily in a violent way, but just kind of overwhelmed by it. I do think there was, again, maybe a choice in mixing to just curb a little bit of the compression, because again, where are you gonna find a, a, a producer to add right. compression in the environment he wants? It, it sounds very raw, and I know that term gets used enough 
probably on this podcast and just the music criticism in general, and I'd really like to try to avoid it, considering well, that there's something here that is taking a step well beyond that for me. Which is why I didn't even bring that up, okay. because I was right. going in All a right. different place. Just translating. <laughs> for, for me, I think it's mostly just how off-putting those things seem on their own while they fit the art of the song threw me for a loop in this track that I didn't quite recover from. Uh, even on multiple listens, the whole track felt at moments clunky to me. And I don't think it's clunky... <laughs> how do I say clunky but not a bad way? It's, it's essentially... I get this, the artistic structure and feel for this track. I don't know that I'm necessarily a fan of it, but I understand it. I feel... I'm I'm kind of there in certain parts with that clunky word, um, especially with the way the the rhythm and the beat seems to be preventing a lot of embellishment on it. It really is a heavy beat, a very resounding focus for the rhythm section itself. The boom of it, the actual concussive feel of it. Um, I think works for the storytelling aspect of it, but it, it was right up front that I'm like, oh man, we got a lot of really good rhythms recently. I would, I would, I, give me, give me a little bit of rhythm. Give me a little bit of rhythm. Like so I, I said, wanted, I wanted a, it, but I was. It's a drum stained with the blood of its previous owner. It's a tribal drum. It's not like th this drum was not carved from the tree for the purposes of math rock. It was just for the purposes, and I don't want this to be the sole defense, of course, but, you know, you do see the performance art of it. Oh, yeah, yes, And yes, trying yes. to keep the, the rhythm, you're right, in this track is not uh, terribly embellished, and it does keep everything to a fairly locked pace. And the track does get a little bit long. Uh, it, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. First, the bridge. And the bridge... Yes. The bridge actually sounded um, a couple hundred years in the future. That's still kind of old from my... 800 year mark at best so maybe 12 um, <laughs> at least to my ears but then again it, it does feel like it, it gets a little bit more updated as in reflective I want to say as in somebody is thinking back on this because just the presentation it, it's more descriptive oriented in the imagery department as opposed to very clear cut and almost brashness of the other verse work it Blinding it, it, colors leap along bemirrored tower walls stretching as far as the eye can see. Very short, very clipped, and the vocals feel weak, very elderly. Like, that also adds a little bit they of did it's sound moved elderly. through the future. It feels like it's something that may have occurred decades to hundreds of years. If you're a wizard, it could be hundreds of wizards. But it, it is looking back upon the past for just a brief moment in this piece itself. It's an interesting perspective. That That's something that was like in the back of my mind that's really weird. That, no, just in terms of like, yeah, they it, like that this is the elderly members of the Hamlet, you know, the, that part of the community choir. They've been doing this for years and years and years, and that's, that's their section to shine. And of course, the section is bracketed by those really wonky guitar transitions. Um, and then you do get a final verse, the, the last verse, right just following that. And I do want to point out that even though this verse is similar to the early ones, at this point, his voice is really breaking down. This is like, this This is where that color, it, even the color is breaking down. He feels like he can barely even speak. His voice is hoarse. I am woken icy beads by a clamor coming from the broad beans, the snapping of stems and a foul-smelling bloom. Paralyzed, I watch my child's breath glide like a jellyfish across the black morning. And that last line there, it, it's like you hear breaths, you know, just giving way over certain syllables. It, that's where, you know, his voice, I was, I was very, became 
very shocked by his style and yet also enraptured by it at the same time because I can't say I was, you know, as off-put off uh, by this as Matt was. This was the moment where it kind of started turning around for me, where in the beginning it was a little like, huh, interesting style, and here it was a whole world unto itself that I'd never heard. And then accompanying it, it actually, in this, in this post-bridge verse... Um, it's not the first time the strings show up that I really enjoyed, but they were a lot more toned down. Between the vocals kind of falling apart a little bit and the strings sort of stepping forward, it was an interesting effect because it was just single notes being struck, but they just ever so slightly rise along. In the first half, the first half of this verse, it's, it's one tone. Or it's only one tone that actually gets played, but then it does shorter little uptones as we're going along. And this effect really did a lot to to get rid of all the terror I felt, to get rid of all the 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 like force I felt in the previous ogre parts or the previous parts themselves. And it made it a lot more inviting and I, I wanna say rose colored just because of the context of the story. It made it feel a little bit cleaner than it may have been at the time. But these strings do actually persist, and they're accompanied with, I, I want it, it sounds like a plucked piano or a harp or something like that. These little, like, plucking effects that occur in this outro vocal section. Because it's not the outro, but it's the outro vocal section. Or maybe it actually is the chorus. I don't know. This is an argument we had off air, and we've kind of come to we a can great place. We can agree on at least one part, and that is it is the only refrain. It is the only thing that is repeated and it is repeated ad nauseum. When the sun is climbing, we'll find the harrow smothered in slime when the sun is climbing. Um, and really, I guess I should clarify, because it's just when the sun is climbing. That's really the only refrain. You still do get a lot of constant imagery every single time. You know, it's, uh, first it's we'll, we'll find the harrow smothered in slime, then it's we'll break upon the heath, we'll weather a storm of living needles, we'll hurry down the valley of eagles. Um, we'll cross the causeway of no memory, we'll wade around the shoreline below the surface of the water, and then of course his uh, response at the very, very end of all of those, you know, those are the uh, the chorus singing all those parts, when the sun is climbing, uh, enter thing that changes when the sun is climbing, and then his part, we'll put it in the dog's noses, we'll dash across the ringing meadow, we'll tarry by the pool of plenty, we'll hear the distance of the North Sea, our trees will billow in dunes, the algae as a nap of fire uh, in the face of the cliff, a ghastly doorway. And by the way, his vocals, uh, even though, you know, this is this, each of these sections are musically pretty repetitive. That last line of his, though, I do love his falsetto there. I love that climbing, the climbing nature of that line. And the first few times, it really, really did work on me. Again, most of this track was working on me. The only part where I do kind of step away is, you know, the fourth or fifth iteration, because this does repeat for quite a long time. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a long outro. I was getting frustrated towards the end of it, uh, to the point where the, the final one, the final, the ebbing tide will soon reveal its secrets. Right, I left that one out. There is a decay in the music mm -hmm. where it does just end. And I'm like, okay, it's over. I was definitely frustrated, still am frustrated at the fact that the intro does make a reappearance. Only because... This is another bracketing thing. The intro that we heard in the very beginning as the intro is essentially the outro here. The only difference is that it's staggered. You get that very Beethoven, like, not quite wanting it to end. We're just going to do a long retardando. It just keeps on slowing down to the very bitter end. One more. 
note. <laughs> yeah, and I was getting frustrated at this point. It was. I, I didn't it was mind a, that. It was a strong track. It was a strong song for me. Uh, in fact, during this outro, one thing I did notice was screeching violins, which um, sonically can be taxing on this album, but here I really enjoyed them. When they occurred, that weird plucked piano or harp, which is probably just guitar work that's really high register, that diddles in, that shows up like raindrops, it stopped being enticing and enjoyable and becomes... It becomes scary. It becomes kind of manic, There's especially as the repetition's going on. It becomes manic. Quite a so, lot of manic sections, even if it is just a single choice here and there. It was. It was very interesting. It just refrain, refrain, refrain. I mean, I'm kind of in between you guys. I feel like I stayed pretty consistent throughout the song as far as how I felt about it on multiple listens. But I, I am in agreement with all three of you that that last minute felt a little lengthy, um, but I don't feel that it hurt the outro as well. I liked that moment that we got at the end. Um, I just wish it came a little sooner. But from here, we'll move on to track three, Soldier. I'm continuing in our single occupation titles, as it were. The Soldier. Um, well, with a, lot, a few of these tracks, uh, you know, have that kind of bracketing thing. Although, yeah. actually, this doesn't really have that at the end. No, this th- has just these intro. There are a few that have intros that are very, very difficult to describe because it's essentially like a guitar that sounds like it's being played by someone who doesn't even know how to play guitar. Like, it, it's drunk, but it's like a happy drunk, and it makes absolutely no sense for just a, a matter of seconds. Yeah, so the intro to this track does have that feel. It's primarily sounds plucked, though, as if it were f- being finger-picked, as opposed to strummed like well, yeah. a, a ton of the previous track. Um, but it does feel meandering, almost like it's staggering. And um, the, the instrumental part of this track also lasts a while. We get about 55 seconds before any vocals come in, and so we get to sit with this odd guitar playing for a bit of time. But it's a different kind of guitar playing after a certain point. Like I said, the intro is just, I mean, the, the weird and, and wonky part lasts for only a few of those seconds, and then we go into what is actually, even though it's still instrumental, like you said, it, it, it's actually more of the melodic hook, really, I guess, for this piece. It takes the melody of what something that we're going to hear much later, but we get it here in guitar form. And over this, after you get that, you start packing in the atmosphere, kind of like the purring of guitar in the background. The tone is just so warm and and really mastered to headphone perfection before at 55 seconds in, we finally get verse one. Now, all right, this is another fun track to describe the, uh, I don't know if I'm going to go by A, B, A, I'm just going to try verse chorus here. The first verse, I would describe it in, in terms of three line segments. Here we are at the fortress of long wings, my fellows bristling with anticipation at slurp among their supper bowls. And that's kind of the end of this first phrase. We get the beginning of a phrase that starts to reflect the beginning of that first phrase. That here we are at the fortress of long wings, you notice that the very first word that here we like it just creeps in this this uh this this like first syllable it's it's so slow and gentle a map of steam in the rafters overhead is how the next one begins but then we start stepping it up a little bit into something i would i'm almost on the edge of calling it like a pre-chorus but of course because it's changing the nature of the verse but it doesn't really have a, a a whole defined
nine section quality about it. Shoveling it in, I don't taste a thing, only a memory of kisses spilled upon my chin, and he's just, he's really, this is a gorgeous melody at this point. I, I became enraptured by his singing songwriting style, and that's not something I've heard in many, many weeks, because for the most part, I'm enamored by other things. The singing songwriting is kind of an afterthought, but just goes to show the power of a great melody, and that's not even, that's not even the half of it. It's it's an incredibly happy pickup for something that kind of is deeply dour. Imagine, at best, imagine at best how how, how uh, amazing it is with kisses spilled upon my chin. Yeah, okay, you're you're ending on a happy note, but but you're talking about war. Yeah, <laughs> you're talking about war. It's shoveling it in. I don't taste a thing. He's talking about those those supper bowls that they're trying to, to, to just digest as quickly as possible before they go back into battle. Mm-hmm. They're dreaming of. There's memories of the kisses. It's not occurring. It's the past. It's what happened way back when before the hell that they're about to go into with I am tired. I am afraid. My heart is full of dread, and that that happy uh. pickup occurs once again. And this is why I couldn't really decide what was a pre-chorus and what was verse work until I figured out that the chorus itself, I am tired, I am afraid, is an answer to the first section of that verse. Mm-hmm. My heart is full of dread that, that picked me up, that happiness that kind of occurs with that refrain, because it comes back. I am tired and I am afraid. My heart is full of dread. That, but he, but that, the, that the, hammering home, that is a response to the second half of that verse. But the great thing is so that beautifully. the chorus is, is an expulsion first without the clarification. It's first, I am tired, I am afraid. Why should he be tired? Why, am I, why should he be afraid? Because you don't have the context yet. It's that expulsion followed by the clarification, ah, my heart is full of dread, and then the reiteration, I am tired and I am afraid. I loved this chorus so much because, mainly because of the entire mapping of everything that I just described, going from verse into whether you bother calling it a pre-chorus or not, it doesn't even really matter. It's the dramatic end of verse as it segues into the chorus. Both the melody ties in beautifully. It just feels like one giant thing. Who even cares about dividers at this point? And then, of course, the story matches it perfectly for that reason. And the second time that he says, I am tired, I am afraid, my heart is full of dread. It's even louder. It's a little bit higher, right? And it's in the back of his throat. You can feel that there is dread, despite that it actually feels like elation in terms of the music, but it's just like that that you're so full of emotion, you know, it's 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 a teardrop and the joy of of the moments at the same time because that's all you can appreciate. This this took this uh, this album to amazing highs at this point for me. I was definitely more on board with this track. I think the way it flowed, I think there was just in Ogre a lot of uh, sharp left turns when I wasn't expecting them into bizarre dead ends that went straight up in the air. Essentially, you know, it was kind of all over the place. Whereas here, even though vocally he's kind of jumping all over the place, melodically, it's pretty straightforward and I'm invested in the melody here. Um, even when we get to the final chorus, um, there are minor changes to it, but it flows the same way. But because of the impact of the previous choruses, the structure of the entire song, and then the restructure of this final chorus, it impacts and embodies so strongly an emotion I had not felt framed this way before. It, it's, it gets a little bit previewed in the third verse, 
with just like touches of electronic whirls in it. Mm-hmm. Just Something. just a little bit of texture that is out of place. And it's a little random, but it's still it texturally works. interesting. It works great yeah. to have something that actually has an a feedback twang to it that comes from an amplifier as opposed to an acoustic voice. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it works, but it does. I'm not going to complain about this. Because when it goes into this this final chorus, my heart is full of hope. First off, I'm tired, I'm afraid is not a response right away. You're not getting that as your forefront lead in. It's right away an uplifting, my heart is full of hope. And this this hope as still accompanied by that almost electric guitar sound, that screech. But that screech, as much as as much as it's supposed to say no, as much as it's supposed to actually marry to the dread, surprisingly works with the word hope. Surprisingly lifts it up even though it is a discordant element of the chorus. Absolutely. Yeah, I think what really sets that up also is that the previous line, the final line of the verse, as it were, is discussing starting a family as a soldier, looking forward to that. And that's why the shift to my heart is so full of hope, I am tired, I am afraid, takes on whole new meaning because musically, lyrically, structurally, this absolutely describes what I assume it's like to have to start suddenly raising a child. Especially if you've planned for one, there's hope, but you are absolutely tired and terrified. And all of those elements in this end of this track really wrap that up as a moment of hope, but also personifying in music form wanting to have a child and start a family. He introduces a form of cognitive dissonance. The first time around, his head and his word, they're all in in check. I am tired, I am afraid, my heart is full of dread. There's nothing, there's no, you know, there's no mis, nothing mismatched about those three lines. And then suddenly, my heart is full of hope, but I'm tired and I'm afraid. Well, why are you tired and I'm afraid, but yet you're heart is full of hope. It's just those the two simultaneous thoughts going on at the same time, and they're difficult to reconcile, and his melody reflects that as well. Because every single time, even the first time when it says, I am tired, I am afraid, boom. Like, you yeah. almost imagine this to be some kind of, like, you know, cheesy little da-da-da-da. It's like a period at the end of the sentence. That's it. I'm tired, I'm afraid, that's all there is, right? And then suddenly, my heart is full of hope yeah. <laughs> in the very, very end. It's... I, I adore it. And this also does come back to his inflection. It's not just the melody. It's, it's, it's other things. For instance, just go back back to verse 2 really quick. We didn't mention much about verse 2, but I do want to mention that brokenness in his voice comes back really, really heavily here toward the end, uh, the part that you could almost call, you know, the transition moment, that pre-chorus kind of thing. In the morning we march across the sea to the sunken monastery to face our faceless enemy. And there's a little, you know, ralentando right there. Just slows down a, a moment, right? But then picks it right back up but in that his voice to face our faceless enemy that it's in the back of his throat again and also the mandolin joins in right here as a really i think it's a mandolin it sounds like a mandolin there's something a little bit tinnier doesn't really sound like it's his guitar but i could be wrong anyway it's more toward the left ear and it complements this moment really really beautifully sort of mid-track uh now let's go to track four weaver this <laughs> 
This is a fun track, um, because, you know, fun is not exactly something I've been having yet. But first, let's get the stuff that is redundant out of the way. This track is another track that begins almost exactly like the previous track in terms of the guitar that feels like it's had too much to drink. It's about 18 seconds of that. Um, really can't make much sense of, of it. it. It doesn't even feel like it's the happy drunk anymore. It just feels like the drunk who snuck in and started fiddling around. I don't know. But 18 seconds... Well, this gives us a lot more to look at, texturally speaking. We get a hook, but the hook is kind of in two parts. A sort of dirty melody followed by a dirty figuration. It's, it starts off going... Huh. I feel like it's going pulp noir. Not just noir, but like pulp noir. Right. I feel like the Maltese Falcon's going to show up right here. But because it's... Still within the the texture of his guitar work, it's not sounding modern. It sounds like maybe we're writing Pulp Fiction for Chivalrous Times. It still has an ageless kind of quality going to it. There's a lot about this album that really is ageless to me. Uh, and then that dirty figuration here. There's this part that's just this undercurrent for various sections. Um, it always follows that little dirty melody, which, by the way, is going to come back again a little bit later. It's just sort of forecasted here in this little funky introduction. And then the, the the dirty figuration, which is just kind of uh, setting us up for everything else. Boom, 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 and that's it. Uh, it's by far my favorite melody and figuration on the album, for sure. At least on a very superficial level. It was just so groovy. It was impossible to not get wrapped up in. And also, the fact of it being paired with that weird drunken moment in the beginning, it just felt like a a, a, a less bizarre jump. I don't know why. I guess maybe because we had had that bizarreness to intro another track. But I really love that. And I love the way it leads into the storytelling nature of this track, for the first part at least. I, I, I'm really on board with the melody here, and I think it's some of his finest melodic work, because even though you're getting these weird, finger quotes, raw sounds, they're being delivered in a way that's really easy to chew on. I, I really like the way... Okay, first of all, Weaver, the first section, this this A, I guess. Yeah. Very statement, very matter-of-fact, and very just presentation of what's going to happen. Yeah. I steep the wool in a cauldron of pummeled gall nuts afloat in urine. Add river water, thrice boiled with a bloodstone. And he kind of just trails off with a bloodstone. Well, this like first verse feels like a recipe exactly. that you're cooking in a cauldron. And then and then it, it transitions into like a B verse, which gets very light, very pitchy. Then let it breathe under the beams while I prepare the lichen. Like it, it's he's reading from a book, like yeah. explaining his job to you. It's a good contrast for what immediately follows, which it feels kind of Chorus previewy or chorusy? I don't know how to this explain. This to me it. kind of felt like a. I'm just judging from what comes afterwards. I would call this the pre-chorus. First of all, a uh, big change in terms of who's singing here. It almost sounded like a children's choir or something like that. It might just be him in an extreme falsetto. Like it sounds very childish, but it's got this little like. Half a fist of wizard beard and rock tribe. Just this back and forth thing. I. I. It's. 
very weird. I get wrapped up in it too. There's actually very few melodies in this section of the album that I don't get wrapped up in, uh, which is a credit to his uh, songwriting style. And of course, it takes it down a peg. You know, even uh, verse B, come to think of, well, section B, whatever. The previous section kind of took it down a peg by cutting out the guitar. You just get sort of these individual strums, and this kind of makes it a little more lighthearted before we then burst in with, well, we'll just call it section D at this point, might as well. It's a, it's the chorus. And this, well, one minute, 48 seconds, this is where it comes in. It looks like a thundercloud suspended from the gables, high above the bobbing heads, which now and then look up to see what's dripping on them. And this, again, I, I, I'm astounded how one section after the other in this track is so well written. It's so rare that I have, like, four simultaneous sections that are from the same track consecutively. They're kind of all stuck in my head right now as I read these. And also what's really interesting about this progression is it... It awakened what this band reminded me of, what Richard Dawson reminded me of, which is a folkier primus. Just because of the way he bounces around the odd choices in vocal tone and melody, and especially it was the dirty melody here that really brought it out of me because Primus is known for those aggressive dirty melodies that they build on the bass, whereas bass isn't always used for melody work. And so I think because the tones were so dark and low at moments here, it reminded me of that the most. Yet the, the aside kind of nature, Steve pointed out it later in the album for me, but here I'd wanna, I want to just bring it up, yes. As sort of like the asides they would throw in their pieces and their tracks as they were lighthearted and they were almost like mini soliloquies thrown in top of a story. And I'm getting that sort of effect going on here now, especially when the hook shows up again, which up to this point... Yeah, hook following a chorus because it's the only way I can break it down. I don't... I did not really want to call it a hook to begin with. I wanted to say it's the introduction. It's the intro after the exposition in the very, very beginning. The drunken exposition. It's the refrain. It's what the guitar was doing in the beginning, the first half of what I described as the two-parter, you know, dirty melody followed by a dirty figuration. Well, this is the dirty melody, and now you have words. And I, I... I did not see it coming. I thoroughly loved I did not see this piece actually coming back in. I kind of expected it to be, you know, the tail end. I expected it to be our finale. It's what we'd already gotten before, an introduction that became our finale. So here, having it thrown in there, so we begin feeding it in, combing through the fiber, searching gently for a yarn to spin. I, Uh. I love that noir feel. It feels like... This guy, who's a weaver, once again, he's giving us a recipe, for goodness sake. He's, he's, he's telling us how to do weaving. He's making this sound so much deeper and more epic than, than, it, than it possibly could be. But I'm enraptured. I'm, I'm wrapped up in his storytelling. Like this is, this is somebody who everybody in town knows. And it's like, literally, this guy's got a yarn to spin. And what I've liked (laughs) so far in track three as well, but not so much in track two, is the song feels to progress in a manner that uh, feels refreshing. I don't feel like he stays anywhere too long and goes back to interesting things. And because even when we get to the final vocals that are just Oz at the end over the instrumentation, we're still getting stuff that we had heard earlier, but they're being muddied up a bit, and we're getting vocalization that's really spreading its wings. Because after this middle hook, 
we actually get a repetition of the ABCD again is just as good. Honestly, I really enjoyed us redoing everything and getting another layer on top of With just such content. A complex structure. It's like you get it twice. I could have had it again. It would still sound as just an interesting. Uh, it's, it's it's a set. It's not just like a section. It's an entire set of things that he that he composed so well together. It was actually last night when you were listening to us discussing Talisman when we got that six two six two six six three. I could have gotten that rhythm section. I could have gotten that meter over and over and over again and enjoyed it every time. That's Here, a similar analogy. It's, yeah, it's yeah. a similar kind of a feel <laughs> that I just want more of it. It's an analogy. It's not similar, but uh, yeah. And and back to what Matt was saying because of course he was describing the tail end, the very um, a- after that second set of ABCD and then the hook blah 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 but then yeah those the sections with the uh, the 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 more intense stuff with the closing material which is really its own section because that's a whole nother melody right there with the you know the ah ah ahs it's 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 so melodic it's so folk and I was feeling chills at this moment as if I haven't felt chills and I'm singing along to enough of this track already that they I guess it's just something about the resonance of the multiple vocalists right there that even though for once they're just singing Oz I know I put down that stuff a lot it felt very rewarding you know it felt like even though it's the I'm gonna say this on air it almost puts hey Jude to shame even though that's the like that's the constant go back to you know everyone yeah. says oh the na 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 as well hey at least it's because you got hey Jude well hey Jude's a fine track and yeah it deserves the na 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 section but this deserves it tenfold because of all that we got beforehand. He didn't need a new section. He just added, like, the sixth fully independent section in this, you know, not terribly long track. It makes it so incredibly dense. I'm just, I'm given such a bang for my buck. Yeah, I'm I'm in absolute agreement. I think that as far as me getting into him, this is one of the tracks that was the most memorable for me up until this point. And we've been having a bit of a love fest, but I want to be upfront right now because we might actually get heated and potentially even cut a few parts. With the next track, Prostitute, it is, as much as I was getting invested, 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 I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I want to say right up front, it wasn't from the first listen or second or third. It was honestly when we were discussing it and getting heated that I was really seeing a lot of the, the qualities of this album through the first four tracks that I kind of missed. But Prostitute, I'm holding my ground. I am not a fan of this piece. So let's let's start dissecting the track first and go, start with the intro here because this is the first time on the whole track his vocals and the guitar start in tandem. And normally we pass over something like that, but I think it's important to bring up here and point that out because it's the only time it really happens. And they still have that quality. You know, his voice is a little more even here. He's a little lower, but the guitar still has that plucky kind of drunkish quality, but it is definitely moving forward more smoothly with his vocals. And we haven't really got an introduction like that. He usually leaves us to scratch our head for a few seconds. I do think this is far more direct uh, yeah. in terms... Yeah, and I, it has very crisp, very rich low-end vocals. I do love uh, that about it. And I might as well say at this juncture that I am in complete disagreement or 80% disagreement with John in terms of the way this track progresses because I think that the, the eh, a good portion of it is just as good as anything else. I disagree with only one choice in this track and I bet any uh, audience member who's listened to this album can probably guess which choice that was. But let's do this by the numbers. The beginning of this track, to me, if you're just going to look at the, the melody of the first verse, there has to be more than this. 
Is there no reason for me to exist but for as a plaything of miscreants, malingerers, dastards, and knaves? That's some uh, existentialist stuff right there. And the melody itself, although it is not the most likable melody, and why should it with those lyrics? Why, why should it be with those lyrics? I mean, the earlier sections had more color and, and to it, more, more, uh, more of a fun, likable quality, even in, in its own weird way. This melody is a little bit more evasive, not very likable, but that's what he wants in order to contrast with the chorus. Because when you get the chorus that follows that, there's so much more reason to be alive in this moment because of that initial glissando on the first word, how. How? That's the best way I'm going to do it. How is it so a child can be bought for a year's worth of grain and the way he sings in the back of his throat there as well? That's a kind of common tactic there, and part of it is just the accent and maybe the additional layer of, like, bygone age of old accent that he's tacking on to his already British accent. A year's worth of grain in this day and age. It's hard to explain, but it happens again and again. And, oh god, the, the slow-paced nature of this. I mean, this would put royalty to sleep. The best of minstrels. Minstrels meets Yes meets, you know, the band Yes meets, I don't know, other good things. But this was uh, a, a a joyous chorus to me. It, it even put the icing on the cake after the last track. I think my—so I'm somewhere between you and John, because I wouldn't say outright that I dislike the track. I will, however, say— We've gotten other storytelling tracks, and that's what this is, content-wise. So, I'm not super intrigued in the lyrics there. Um, musically, at least in the first verse, the guitar is very even-strum. It doesn't even have the typical off-quality. Now, it could just be the chord he's playing, because he's still playing on the, that same guitar, but it does sound familiar here. This instrumentation sounds less unique, but I will agree that the vocalization here is what's meant to stand out and what's meant to step away from the rest. Um, but that said, I'm at odds with his vocals. Sometimes I really love the interesting things he does, and sometimes it hits me like nails on a chalkboard. And not because there's anything wrong with what he's doing, but just because I guess I have a sensitivity to the pitchiness or whatever else. I do agree, though, that there is some great example of talent in the part that you just described and I really did enjoy that moment. I just don't felt feel like I felt anything emotionally from it. I enjoyed it from a pure spectacle. I was on the border of tears during this moment to be perfectly honest and I'll tell you one thing about the inflection in this section that it really works for me. Again, well, I've already mentioned that a few times, but I need to describe it about this particular section that I'm lauding. And a lot of it has to do with, again, combination of inflection meets melody. Mm -hmm. The very last line, and in this case meets chords as well, the very last line after you get, you know, a child can be bought for a year's worth of grain in this day and age, it's hard to explain, and the chords, it gets a little bit darker gradually. It's hard to explain, but it happens again and again. But right on happens. Suddenly he goes high. In fact, a better example of this is uh, later on in the next chorus. In another life, if I ever had children of my own, I'd cleave them to my breast and convey them far from this country of demons made flesh. The thing he does right there on country and convey them far from this country, like goes to the mid phrase, like he doesn't wait to the end, he doesn't wait for natural breath mark, it's just convey them far from this in the loud country of demons made flesh, and then he wraps it up right there at the end. It's just a sudden moment in the middle of the thing that's, you know, very hard to convey without just outright singing it myself, which I'm not going to do. <laughs> 
but and this is this is this is where we're going to really disagree and it's primarily because everything you said as far as the facts go for me as far as the description goes on this track is accurate and I'm taking it I guess the complete opposite way because a lot of what's going on especially in, located in the verse work there has that's what I'm hearing there has to be more than this like it feels like he's hitting it a little bit too hard it's a combination of just the emphasis he's putting on a lot of the 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 attack of his syllables as well as the guitar showing up to do that attack with him it's very jarring for me it's very broken and a lot a lot of my love for what was going on is purely the flow of this album. Haven't you ever felt like you wanted to sort of cry that out and you can't even really believe it as you're asking the question, there has to be more than this but in this... exactly that meter? No. No. Really? I'm not really feeling it. That's... There has to be more than this. <laughs> even in the chorus work, it's a little bit too focused on emphasizing his syllables. Not necessarily his inflection. It is better. His vocals, for me, sonically, I'm enjoying a lot more in the chorus but at the same time the guitar really feels like feels like it's lacking for me i like i that was an identity piece and i feel like it kind of departed here and that to me hurts it so dramatically that when we go through and we get that section right after demon made flesh i love the, i love the lyrics i guess that's something we haven't quite harped on specifically it's that the lyrics of this album are really phenomenal they 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 really are speaking and not just the storytelling aspect they they are painting great pictures take the second verse for instance i'll never forget the scene where the freckled jowls contort across my father's face and disappear under the wheels of the cart but it, it feels a little bit crass when he's saying this that's my issue saying it the same way he sang the first verse i mean and it's it's, crass it's, it's for me that's what i'm saying crass but, detached i would say is more like it and then he has to it needs to bring out the emotion but but the real crux of this track as much as i agree with the artistic choice of what happens sonically it just leaves me going no no i don't i do not enjoy it's right after flesh we get just way off key electronic guitar like something that's just howling and you're throwing you're throwing knives at an electric guitar all right it's... so we we arrived at it that is the part that i said in the, from the beginning i didn't work for me i guess it didn't really work for either of you no. necessarily all right uh, i i just want to explain my reason for why this was a little odd i mean of course yeah it brings out the pain you can argue i know this is the constant back and forth in this podcast so one minute something works for you know artistically and it works for performance art and all that stuff and then the next minute you're going really what why it doesn't matter it's, it's something you feel deep inside and this in this case there was kind of a reason behind why I feel that way I, I'm if I was to get to the bottom of it it would be because the vast majority of the album has this rustic you know I extremely inescapably uh, not just old world but removed from anything modern removed from I mean of course you have the little stuff in the background here and there which can only be achieved by good mixing but in general they all feel very organic it's everything I explained in the beginning about this being kind of a wild untamed album even the brass itself sort of sets you up for that fall and then all of a sudden out of the blue electric guitar and you know where, where's the outlet show me the outlet in this Hamlet <laughs> where's Con Ed I, I didn't get it I know it's a maybe a shallow view of this but it, it did it did take me out of the moment 
moment. It was a jump the shark moment, just slightly. And I would agree. I think while I'm not as invested in the track as a whole as Steve was, I was more or less enjoying the vocals. Again, I thought the guitar stagnated a little, which is where I'm kind of in line with John. But this moment absolutely took me out of the track. I did get back into the track when we were done with it, and the tail, the second half of the track, the tail end, is just like the first, pretty much. Um, but I wish that moment wasn't there. I felt like this was in a good place. I was invested enough, and that solo really takes me out of it for pretty much the same reason Steve said, though I don't know that I could have put those words to it, but now that he's described it that way, it does make sense to me. Um, I'm not in such a negative place that John was with this track. I agree on everything, except I actually have artistic defense for it. The, the, the fact that it's a personification of the demons that were just mentioned, something from beyond the veil, something that's from a different dimension, screwed up, messed up, different and evil and ununderstandable. Artistically, that would work as an electric guitar thrown in something that was so acoustic. It makes sense to do something that is so Cthulian in concept mm -hmm. to, to do that. I just really don't enjoy it. It was it was one of those moments that sonically it just did not work for me. All right, so uh, yeah, we didn't argue that much. We I didn't think so. No, <laughs> we're just on the opposite sides of the fence. Yeah, here. We're all on the same side <laughs> of the fence on that last point. <laughs> I, I will say with some perspective, I think also why I like five is because I liked six so much less. Let's get into Shapeshifter, which is the sixth track. Something interesting though about the intro here, and I like focusing on the intros because I'm always curious about how he's going to start a song because it does seem very different from song to song. Here we get about. 10 seconds or so of air and static. No instrumentation whatsoever. And then we get guitar work that is very jaunty that comes right in. But I'm curious about that 10 seconds of static. It's obviously intentional. And so I thought that was an interesting choice to kind of let us hang and then go into this jaunty-ish guitar. But it does sound a little evil jaunty to me. It's, well, that's because... Uh... God, so much imagery involved with this piece. I actually thought it was one of the better, if not best, openings for a story on this album. Because Shapeshifter. What, what's a shapeshifter? Werewolf. I mean, that's the first thing that comes to mind for me. So dark, evil, definitely check marks as far as you're describing a werewolf. The way it emerges out of that static, almost as if it didn't know it was there, and then all of a sudden, boom, yeah. you have... You have the eyes, you have the teeth, and you have the the cocky attitude just show up real hardcore. So you're you're getting your shapeshifter, you're getting your chameleon, you're getting your werewolf for me, at least for me. So having it a little bit off key doesn't quite know what it is. It it's it's bouncing around a little bit, and the guitar is doing an incredible job of showing something that isn't quite a form, it isn't quite a singular form, it isn't quite always the same because it's going to bounce around. It's going to mutate a little bit along the ways. This is Shapeshifter, and it's doing a hell of a job for me. I would also say that this is one of those tracks that um, I don't think could have been achieved by a normal guitar. No. I do think like, this oh, is his, his special instrument. is the only thing that could have done this. My dislike aside, it definitely is characteristic of what he does. And we get to sit in this intro and this space for about a minute and ten seconds before the vocals come in. And I appreciate that, too, even though... Uh, 
this is another artistic defense kind of thing, and I'm kind of on board with John saying, maybe not a werewolf necessarily, but for sure shapeshifter, some kind of evil. It makes sense for what he's doing. I just don't enjoy the melody here. It's that simple. And Steve has said before, if you're not on board with the melody and it persists, you're not going to be on board with the song. It's just kind of how that works. I think that that is a reason for a lot of my complaints on this album. I, I understand it. It makes sense. I'm just not enjoying it. And it's it's. And I'm not. It's not an album scale for me. But there's definitely those problems have arisen well, before. Well, it's not album scale yet for me. Mm-hmm. I want to say. Well, I am going to say this. I like the chorus a lot better than I like the verse. The verse is all right. The verse is is just fine. I would say, but. By the time it gets to the chorus, this is where this track really, really takes off for me. The verse, you know, it carries over a lot of the same musical qualities as the intro. Uh, the percussion, for instance, very intertwined with the guitar. It almost feels like the percussion could be the guitar itself, you know, just sort of slapping on the side of the board there. Uh, and you get these really cool, um, like, rushes to, you know, just speeding up to it. And, and then it goes right back to normal pace. Very interesting little thing. That, it feels like this could be like the dance at the Hamlet or something like that. But at the same time, I don't want to take out the evil element. All that said, though, by the time you get the verse, carries over a lot of that. The verse is just fine, but the chorus is where it completely takes off. It, it's very sing-alongable at this point. This is the true dance. This is where everything is a lot more lively. I don't really feel the evil here in Away, Away, Through the Soil, All the Roots Will Draw Me In to Fords the Bell of the Tree, Peel Away to the Hall of the Clouds. Well, that's because it's Peel yeah. Away to the Hall yeah, I love that. of the Clouds. Like, he, he's really... There's I a like, floatiness to it. I like yeah. other little things about, you know, that All the Roots, All the Roots Will Draw Me In, that little back and forth thing there. It's just so much fun stuff There's here. A playfulness the to it, yeah. But, and here's, I do have a, I, I'm having the same sort of problems as Steve. Mostly it feels like this actually does sonically feel like a little bit of an oddball for the album at the end of the day. It does not feel 20th century, but it's got a real 19th, 18th century kind of a vibe. I, I'm, I'm taken out of the hamlet. I'm taken out of the small town where... You've known people, all 40 of them, for your entire life. This one, the actual beat work, the pickup of it, in and of itself, is kind of poppy. Kind of, I want to say, your mother should know, by the Beatles. Like, it, it's it's a little bit, I don't know, modern. I don't know what's going on here, but there's well, an I'll element. go another one, and that was what Matt said, being, you know, Primus. This, yeah. to me, is, is very Primus. The second you, know, you can, like, say, complete that first chorus, you go into that transition, it's kind of return of the intro. Two minutes, 41 seconds. This is very Primus, that little, you know, you get that stuff everywhere throughout all of those early 90s Primus albums. It's just Les Claypool's thing. He just, he likes things sounding a little bit a little bit off, and apparently that's this guy's, you know, that, that's only a slight overlap, I know, but that's enough of a placeholder, a, a direction mark for anybody who I guess is trying to compare this, if, if you want to compare it. And then it was a lot of the doubling down on, on the range of the pitch that was getting to me as we go along in sections. Like, the course, the first time, it was interesting, but, like, on subsequent listens, it, it, it was a little bit... It was like he was just way redoubling efforts that I didn't think were exactly warranted. I, I, a lot of emphasis on it. It was also located in the verses. It just wasn't... 
it felt a little bit on the forceful side. This chorus actually makes me forget the rest of the track, to be honest. No, I mean, like, no, I love most of this track. I have no problems with this track. It's just, you know, you, you guys, I, I'm not, I'm actually having a hard time understanding what you guys don't like about it. It's, it's, it's fun, it's jaunty, it's very different in that respect from the rest of the record, but it's definitely not like a, it's not like a tonal or genre shift or anything. It's completely him, and I think it actually livens up the music a little bit, and it, it gives us one more amazing chorus, as if we haven't had enough. I think for me, it's the chorus. I think it's the fact that I don't really like his vocalization in the chorus. I understand what you like about it, but to me, it just... I'm not wrapped up in it. I'm not mystified by it. I'm kind of put off by it. And again, I, t I told you, his vocal style either hits or miss for misses for me, and here it's just a miss. And again... It's not to the detriment of his talent or his ability. For me, it's just I'm not into it. Okay, well then I'm actually going to help Steve defend this one and say the vocals are the wolf howl to the moon. This is... <laughs> I, it's the werewolf. Okay, go with the werewolf. Be the werewolf. Enjoy the werewolf. Enjoy the shapeshifter. It's... it's it, it works for me imagery-wise. That's That is just a, a foregone conclusion. With this track, it works imagery-wise. I, it's just some sonorous hiccups that I have going on right here that are just pushing me a little bit outside of it. I mean, it. it's the same little, just slightly off, not quite in tune, even though you can't even say it's really tune. It's more like mismatching timbres or something like that. Maybe that's all just owed to the instrument or the way that he's developed his singing style around the instrument or a combination of both. Don't really know. But that stuff was all there in the rest of the album. It's not unique in, in this particular track. If anything, it's, it's there's more, more consonants. It's unique in the fact that how elongated it is. Those high notes are, if you're not into them, unbearably long comparatively. He doesn't hold those notes as long in other tracks. He doesn't hold them long. Here, yes, absolutely. In the chorus, he drags it out. It's something like, that. you know, away through the soil. I gotta go into my full set. It was just horrible. Right. Nevertheless, and, and it's something not, like that. I love those quivers. And I don't. That's just what it is. I don't. It feels ear-piercing to me in those moments. It didn't other other places, and it could be the comping of the well, instrument. There is nothing to be done about that. It, it's instant earworm stuff for me, honestly. Uh, this and is I got this that is in what I places. need. I think I read a quote at some point, not to completely like you know dissuade uh, listeners from this or or turn it into a pretentious thing, despite the fact that I don't think it's very pretentious at all. There was something said about this uh, a quote that the, an album like this is designed to shave away the unworthy or something like that, and basically leave the fans of Richard Dawson. Because, like, if there were ever, ever anyone who was, like, on the fence about it, I mean, like, yeah, I'll take him, you know, with the side of my other folk. No, this basically isolates it. This is, you are a Richard Dawson fan or not. I don't want to delineate that. I, it was this uh, erroneous quote, I think, from, like, The Guardian or something like that. Maybe it was a different article. Nevertheless, uh, it, it's kind of that way to me. To me, this this kind of writing, the melody structure of it is a very intelligent design. I agree. And the fact that the inflection kind of masks that a little bit, I think is ballsy. But at the same time, I understand how from doing that, you can like, you're not gonna get 100% of what you maybe originally set out to achieve, but you're going to get that remaining 90% all in, like all cards in up your alley. And I and I agree with that design, just not in this track. I feel the intelligent design is in so many other places in this record, except this track. All right. Let's go to track seven, Scientist, which so, is also dirty. <laughs> so, you know, to just continue my tradition on this album of talking about the interest of the track, this, track eight, track nine, 
I'm going to talk about the three of their intros briefly because they all have this kind of meandering guitar start that then kicks up into something else. They they all have variety. And but, there's a moodiness to them that was a little bit different. And it's the first time we get it here in Scientist. This was a little bit different, though, in terms of the fact that, of course, this sounded so much more metallic mm -hmm. and also with so much more intensity. And actually, I do think this kicked right into, up into the rhythm. I mean, you might yes. be a little bit off about that. It's just immediately in with this, first of all, forget about any, you know, modernity. I could see how, like, the last track definitely has, it's just in terms of shifting time periods, it's more of like a, a, a shade of, you know, 1960s retroactive uh, re medieval revival in Britain or something. But this track, right back fully into what I would expect to see out of something in the Dark Ages on the cusp of war. In fact, uh, just for some modern reference for anyone who enjoys the show The Vikings, uh, that is actually a perfect, like, the kind of music that they use in The Vikings, which at times ranges from, you know, that kind of, like, Scandinavian metal just because they figure, hey, well, tonally it fits, but still, a lot of them are writing... More, like they they pick and choose any track, whether it's folk or metal, that has like shades of whatever we know of ancient Scandinavian music or like high Middle Ages Scandinavian music. The kind of stuff you would expect to hear, even though you don't really have great records of the time. This to me, right in that ballpark. Of course, you know, more Britain centric. Nevertheless, it, it right before you go to war, you feel the drums, you feel that metal clanking, you feel like the whole entire town, a town that is all ready to go to war over who knows what, is all just singing and drinking along to this and sort of amping themselves up. There's a march, a militantness to it that really does stand out, whereas we've heard a little bit of that earlier on the record, but here I think is when it was at its strongest. It's sort of this dun 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 I am come straight from the palace through the toad song to your step, that kind of thing. And mm -hmm. it's just on and on with that, that form of meter. Got a lot of accent marks there, but again, fits the overall thing. And actually, uh, considering the place of science in the Dark Ages, um, really says a lot about what science was doing at the time and how contentious it was to have science considering words like blasphemer and the fact that the, the, the latter third of every verse is a choir arguing against the scientist. I love, uh, again, imagery, great choices going on right here. He's doing a good job of marrying his sound to his themes on top of the words, on top of the content, and the music itself. Like, he's he's doing a hell of a job of putting everything together on a piece like this. Yeah, and the other thing about the the energy of this track, and the way it kind of constantly ramps it up, is uh, connected to something that you had pointed out about how the verses are really structured in, like, you know, almost three parts where, like, you have, or maybe four parts almost, he sings the beginning, of course, with that sort of, you know, accent mark heavy melody. I am come straight from the palace. You have several moments of that. Uh, I have lugged this strange contraption over many a hoary dale, right? And then unbar the gate, take me to the house. Here it breaks down a little bit in terms of, like, he his voice goes lower like his voice is already you know crapped out at this point frankly i would have thought it would have happened many times over the course of this record this time it's almost gone as we have that final line of your so-called priest blasphemer right and it's just kind of nowhere to be found in here you have a bit of a space before what i would almost still see is kind of a continuation of that verse but it's actually it's, it's the same exact melody over and over and over again but this time it is uh, with the rest of the choir. It's the entire, you know, the entire town. Like I said, or everyone who belongs to 
the war. Although actually, really, they more sound like a children's choir, so I guess it's really not people going to war, but they're singing on their behalf, whatever. We do not require the use of your abandon. We have our own seeing device powered by waste. It no longer recognizes words or numbers. And so that's their verse there. Same melody all the time, same consistent undercurrent throughout all of this. So it's like a little bit more of him, then one verse of theirs, a little bit more of him, one verse of theirs. It's like a roughly... Uh, three to two ratio. Yeah, it, it, the song sticks to that structure. It's the most, I guess, consistent he's been on the record, but I guess that's not necessarily true. We've had moments of consistency before, but it definitely does have this rousing nature that gets you marching along. Also, that chorus, like, to me, it rings of something more modern also. Talking about technology, you know, uh, this idea that uh, we do not require the use of your abandon. We have our own seeing device. A seeing device I consider a smartphone powered by waste. The idea that a lot of technology is made from recycled parts. And then it no longer recognizes words or numbers. This idea of code and code ones and zeros are not numbers or words. They're code. Basically everything's digital now. Nothing's analog anymore. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, it is a little bit removed from us going further toward AI. Is that, what the, is that the point that he's driving at? And yet, of course, this is all very, you know, it seems like that's tangential to everything that I set it up as, considering the song, the music of it is so placed in the past, and yet you just have that, that thread there when you're looking really, really closely. I have lugged this strange contraption speaking in the language of old, but yet referring to something very, very modern. It's his, his little quirky connection. I also like the fatalist final verse that we get. We have long since in a vision fled into the nameless foothills. Somewhere fire cannot live, a secret dome. They're talking about a bomb shelter right there. Yeah. Enclosing a whole world made anew. It, it feels like they, they're like, okay, we're Armageddonists. We've already got our food stores locked up in a dome that we've hidden underneath the ground so that the apocalyptic fire cannot get to us. Like, I, it is a weird modern thread that just popped out uh, after you mentioned it in that first choir verse yeah. that when it showed up again, I, I, I love that I just found a different layer going on right here. But, and there's a big but on this piece for me, after that first choir, we get an instrumental section that I, once again, I was having sonic problems with because the guitar really starts screeching on me and I can't enjoy it. I am sold at this track, as of this track. It, it's not a matter of this track did anything uh, special. No, that's not necessarily true because I think the matter of the energy here is exactly what I needed at this point in the album. I'm really glad that he's keeping this going because this is it's part of the, the things that I was worried about as of the very second track. If you recall in the beginning of the second track, the first track that was, you know, indisputably folk, I said something along the lines of like, well, I don't know how I'm going to feel if this is just folk nonstop. We just got that beautiful brass section. Oh, and whenever we get a folk album, it's probably not going to be a lot of textural variety. And that's not true here. Yeah. Like, there's nothing but textural variety because he knows how to use this strange instrument of his and probably a plethora of other things. In this case, this track, because of that metal grinding, everything that John really doesn't like about it, that, that, that just screeching and cranking, it, it sounds imperfect and it shouldn't sound anything less than imperfect, or more than imperfect, however you want to see it. Point is, this track, I, I, I just like it from a very, very, f like, 
fundamental, down-to-my-bones kind of sense. I would listen to this, like, alongside any other metal track. I don't, I can't really describe, considering, of course, if I'm talking about in terms of, like, hey, musical complexity, then this has a lot of things that I guess I've kind of, you know, poo-pooed maybe in other instances in terms of, like, hey, there's a lot of color and texture, but what does that really do for you if you don't have the, the core components? But it really just does have one core component, and that's that overall melody, which is not the most complex in the red on the record. It's probably the least complex. I am come straight from the palace. But that carries over, because there's, there's suspension of disbelief the second you place me in that environment of the war song. He can tell me any tale he likes here, because the music has already sold it as carrying a very specific pur purpose that is not overused or even reused once on this record. It exists here in track 7, and it is easily one of the um, like energetic high points of the record for me. So he can do as much metal grinding as he wants because he's already sold me on those weird oddball threads of his. This just amplifies it because of everything else. I don't argue against it, other than the basis that it was a moment when listening on headphones. I had to turn down my music because I did not enjoy it. Yeah, and when the that verse, happens. When the verse comes right back in, I was back into the track. I was back into the song. I did enjoy Scientist, but it was weaker because I felt hurt a little bit in my ears when listening to it. And something like that is it's it's it it is it, still irksome. I still have to point out flaws for something like that. Well, I I I have lost many potential uh followers, many potential listeners to that exact I don't want to call it a fallacy, because if your ears hurt, obviously, that there's no fallacy there. You need to turn it down. We want to protect our eardrums if we're going to continue doing this thing. Point is, like, if that's what's happening, then you can't argue against it. But I do know that that's just a matter of context. Like, in another setting, wouldn't have heard it that way. You already said that there were some differences, like when we were listening aloud on speakers, yeah, right? But... Believe it or not, I heard actually a little um, a little drop in... Uh, in clarity when I moved from the headphones to the car. And then I was like, oh, this is not impacting me the way it was on headphones. Well, that's the experience most people have. And then you go back to like, you know, a high quality pair of speakers in a room and then all of a sudden I'm back on board. These are not the fault of the artist. This is the fault of context, environment, and all things that we've discussed in previous topics on the show. Let's go to track eight, Hob. This, as, as Matt had started up on scientist this is a little bit of a darker and deeper introduction mm -hmm. it, it, but at the same time it's it's still smoothed out it feels torn and smoothed out it's sort of like they're trying to put something back together there's a gloomy and sad nature to the track but this also is i think the track that most feels like a wandering minstrel song like especially the way the guitar is playing through and the folky vocals we get from the very beginning there's a sense of heaviness and this weight that minstrels carry. If you're used to playing the game Skyrim and a lot of the minstrels in that, in that game either sang a happy song of the hero or kind of a sad, solemn song about loss or death, and this definitely has the latter feel for me. Well, it works, because a hob, or a hob thrush, is <laughs> <So> a... British. <laughs> well, it's, it's a monster. I'm not... I don't know which one he's referring to because it's... It might be a fairy. It might not be. Depends on what area you're talking about. But a hob is a underground cave-oriented monster that steals children. But mm. also has magic. Has powers associated with it. So without going into too much of the lyrical work, just as a whole, it's the story 
of parents who save their child by going to the hob and at the end of the day has to still give away the child because the hob comes by to collect on the debt. This is a story that is extremely aged and extremely old. This is is the sort of story that you would have gotten when this initial idea of what this album is trying to represent came into fruition 1,500 years ago. This would have been a story that would have been perfect for it because this would have been the story you would tell with music like this. And it's great for it. It warbles. It circles the idea of what the melody is going to be. But when it actually solidifies on it and the melody actually does kind of appear from this rumbling, warbling, darker but smooth effect, it becomes like an ode. It It becomes that kind of a feel to it. Like it's explaining... It's explaining a, a metaphor or moral to you. It's it's sort of a, a story of an errant knight or something like that that will have a reason to listen to it, like a lesson to learn at the end of the day. So Don't sell your children. Well, yeah. <laughs> don't ask a hob for help. No. It, it, at the core, <laughs> don't, don't buy something you can't pay for. That's true, and it's very eloquently done no, with this piece. Yeah, I, I we've gotten plenty of storytelling here, and I think it's a strength for this artist. Um, but here, it we're back to the very much focusing in on the lyrics. The instrumentation here is interesting. Even when we get the bizarre instrumental interludes that kind of feel less organic a little bit but here they're not as i think disjointed as previous ones but all in all i'm in this for the story and the lyrics i love listening to him spin this tale uh, the tale i think is is so great in those musical interludes yeah because they act as a chorus a very foreboding chorus mm-hmm. because they give you a preview that okay yes we saved our son who died and would not have would, would would buried him. So we go to the hob. The hob saves our son. And verse two, oh, we're we're overjoyed. There's a little bit of a pickup going on in that second verse as we see the child is still alive, and we start going into it. He he gets the second sight in verse three. He actually yeah. becomes a magical being, which makes sense because he was touched by magic. It's that frozen effect. So in verse four, when the hob shows up, and the hob is that those final lines of. I have come to collect what is rightfully owed. Rouse the boy from slept. Get him bathed and dressed. It is time he kept your end of the bargain. The bargain. The bargain. Those pauses between the bargain are ominous and were perfectly portrayed with those musical interludes. I was very happy with them being a little bit disjointed. They still fit the flow, but a little bit out of left field and a little bit foreboding. It was Perfect to set up a conclusion to this track. Well, I haven't said as much about this track as I've said about many previous tracks, but I and I will admit, like we're coming down from track seven, so we're kind of in the tail stretch. I've I've hit my highs, you know, and it's, it's it wasn't as memorable of a track, but at the same time, it's it's still written just as like slowly and deliberately. So it it has the the choruses and the melodies that technically really are almost as memorable as, as all of them. It, it's just a little bit darker and it feels more inconsolable. You don't have the same uh, the playfulness and, and, and pick up. Uh, what I did like was the fact that verse one, it sounds like it has an upright bass droning over everything. Um, it'd be actually funny if he's really bowing his own guitar. That's very possible. Um, nevertheless, it, it's it, I, I still feel that this has a lot of color in it. It just 
it pales a little bit in comparison to the previous tracks, but not by a wide margin at all. Uh, I, I think Matt is right in saying that this track is mostly about the lyrics. Uh, that said, it does add some strings. Like after verse two, they're, the strings come in like a rabble that's losing its mind and protesting all of a sudden and then simmering. And so there was still so much attention to detail. It just wasn't the core melody that had me as strongly, which uh, unfortunately does, is, is what many of these tracks hinge on. But there was a lot of faith put in them, and uh, he had every right to put his faith in them because he's a good songwriter. So um, does anyone else have anything to say? Nope. Track nine, Beggar. It's oh god, there's a there's a chord right in the beginning that's like, that's really gassy. <laughs> it's really like it's it's spacious. It's not you know a line across that's just really wide. It felt three dimensional. Well, I didn't hear that. But actually, <laughs> well, you know what? I kind of sort of did. If it's what I'm thinking of, the thing that's kind of struck me about the beginning here is actually that we. It sounds quite a bit livelier, you know. There's this like downward melody throughout the opening figuration that actually reminded me of like a certain Christmas song. If you replaced that opening melody, this like no 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 no, like it almost sounded like if you replaced it with bells during Christmas time, you would have that that lead in ding 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 ding. Yeah, definitely. You'd have that going on right here. It's just a different, completely different tone, but you have that feel at least. You have that sense of positivity, but then it starts kind of changing a little because you add in these pulses by the time we get to verse one, you know, the she's fast asleep at Woden's feet, whilst arms I seek from thronging fair folk, as a whelp fast to the teat, she smote me, then we've ever since been shadows, two beasts of one old soul. And over this, you start getting that pulse, that pum, 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 right? Specifically, as a whelp fast to the yeah, teat. that right bang there. on teat and whelp was just—it was really but, awesome. But what's re- interesting is the first line and a half. There's no slam. Then there's slam consistently. That slamming sound through the middle of the verse. Yeah, I and think- then the last line and a half, it's gone also. So it's very oddly placed at the center of the verse. Yeah, and I it think- happens in both the first and second verse. I think the initial rap that I was describing was more of just like the the actual beat itself, which had a pulse to it, and uh-huh. then you have the the pulse that is much louder yeah. that that would have um easily been like a you know a headphone turning down moment just because it seemed like it was mixed so loudly um but, it's a very odd choice but it definitely captures your ear also because of the timing of it it's like rap, 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 and then you know it's intermittent and you don't quite expect it it's not this even placement over the overall 4-4 thing eh, it's performance art i actually really enjoyed it it felt like like a, a cane on stone like yeah, right, right next to your head as somebody's walking by. It's a beggar. Mm-hmm. So it works. It's it's another one of those textures that someone's just walking by, holding onto those alms you're looking for, really just not even noticing you. It's it's They literally are just ignoring you. So it's a part of the song that is because somebody doesn't know you're there. Hmm. Imagery. No, I, 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 I get you. And speaking of imagery, I just want to read a little bit further along here. Verse 2. If you rely on the kindness of strangers, it helps to have a hound for a handmaid, not only for the superior nose or companionship. Often people stop to talk to me, having never seen before such a very beautiful snow-colored collie. <laughs> I, this is like Jack London material right here. 
um, I provided Jack London, uh, you know, would get to the point a little quicker because actually these, these are very concise and yet he still packs in the, uh, the imagery so, so densely. What's interesting about the instrumentation also is that those first two verses have that slam, but when we get to the third verse, the slam is inverted. It feels like sound being pulled out several times. And it was an interesting choice to do that because he could have just kept the structure the same, but he didn't. He changed it up, which and, he's want to do. And then in uh, the fourth verse, specifically when the lines, I sold my shoes so I could buy a chicken, a penance, and a treat on her final day, which is, God damn, they're killing the dog. Yeah. Um, but on top of it, the the beat, the the pound is different. It's not yeah. actually holding the same sort of tempo. It's a yeah. it's a little more rat-a-tat, pause, rat-a-tat. It, it's a, weirdly interspersed. It's just strange because in the first two verses, it was very consistent. And then subsequent verses after, it changes up every time. And the really great part of this is like in Hob previously, the instrumentation between the verses is functioning like a chorus. Mm -hmm. But this is brighter. This feels like, this feels happier for a beggar that at the end of the day his dog's gonna die it I, I don't understand but i'm okay with it i'm totally on board with it i mean i understand it's it's looking at the brighter side of life it's you know which uh, is when everybody's asleep and nobody's around to bother you because you're a beggar and they're all mean and <laughs> being this fondness of memories for his dog and this companion he had through life and though even though it ends on a sad note he is truly happy to have lived the life he has as a beggar. And so there's kind of that irony there as well. And now she is gone. I carry her down to the sea and scream at the sinking stars. Can you ever forgive me? That's so sad. It is really sad. And, you know, a lot of this, just through the lens of the beggar, I also kind of come back to the whole concept of the peasant because so many of these are coming from the point of view of someone who someone just keeps getting dragged in this and that. The, the peasant is actually all of these things at various times in his sort of you know, life that really isn't his own. He is the soldier. He is he is the ogre. He is seen as all of this this these things. Some good, some evil. That's where my brain went with the shapeshifter. Not a werewolf, but right. the, he's the shapeshifter. Exactly. He's all of these things. Well, I I would only argue otherwise because of the next track. Okay. So track no, ten. No, no one. one. Okay. Ambient. This a, is an instrumental track. It's a distant cyclone. It's it's it it sounds like that, but at the same time, it has like a rabble effect on top of it. I don't hear any distinct voices. But I feel like even if they're not there, they're being alluded to. It's almost for me like an instrumentation that could be used as the the twister in Wizard of Oz. Like that could have been the sound. Besides the whatever, it could have been the sound of the tornado that Dorothy was hearing. Structurally, it actually reminds me a little bit of Harold, just because it starts with a fade in like Harold did. But very quickly we realize, oh, there's no horns here. It's negative space. It's it started out kind of feeling like a, a, a orchestra warming up, but quickly just sounded like a bizarre mishmash of effects. Um, and it fades out at the end also. And it serves as a breath mark, I think, between 9 and 11. It sets up... It's it's another track that we've gotten time and time again where it's an intro designed for the next track. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's a tried and true th uh, setup that works. And I think it's fairly well connected to the next track since me and Steve talked about track 11 having a conglomerate of sounds we've heard on the whole record. Well, I would only defend 
No One as probably the most appropriately titled track on the album because it has nothing distinct about it. It doesn't yeah. represent anyone. Like, I was surprised at The Happiness of the Beggar or the the kind of noir feel of the Weaver. Like, there are, there are question marks as to, okay, I'm seeing a representation in a little bit of a different light on a lot of these pieces. So mm-hmm. No One really being kind of a nothing artistically is really good musically it doesn't do much more than be a breath you're it's, right it's there but it's, yeah but i i gotta argue this guy as 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 issues have popped up and uh i've been convinced otherwise for a lot of them and a lot of them i haven't been convinced otherwise his work as theming as as building this arc as we're getting towards the close um his theme phenomenal his arc amazing like so far it, it, up until this point the things I don't like, the things I like, all speak to the art of this album. Yeah, it doesn't. There's nothing that I look at and go, "This doesn't fit." <laughs> but let's move on to track eleven. I wanted to say one thing about uh, that last track. No, oh, no, oh. no, you've done enough talking. I did. Most of my talking was in the early stretch. I'll, I'll probably have a long closing monologue, so of I, shouldn't, I shouldn't complain. But you know, I, did it occur to either of you that the peasant is both everyone and no one at the same time? Sure. I, 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 we're having an that. Arya Stark moment. I think I'm the only one getting that reference right yes. now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I don't okay. watch Game of Fields. That wasn't what I was referencing anyway, because I also yes, don't I know, watch... listeners, it's Game of Thrones. I don't watch Sport of, Sport of Fields. <laughs> what? I don't, I don't I don't know. know. He, he doesn't even know what we're joking about. I don't nope. think so. Nope, nope, nope. Game of man Thrones. Right there. Arya Stark, she's, she's, a, she's no one. I got, I got it. Well, she was no one. Now she's someone. I got it because I don't got it. <laughs> but the point yeah. is, no one. Yeah, I, I, I think it was helpful to just have a, a track at this late stage to, with completely without lyrics yeah. and just give him the sonic uh, uh, effect unencumbered, um, like the rest of the album. Not that his voice is, is cumbersome in any way, but you know, uh, I would argue that sometimes yeah, it's I, intentionally. I just realized cumbersome. what I was saying and, and present, <laughs> present company, but you know, yeah, no one is just. It's just a breather. It's a breather. I'll leave it at that. I almost feel as uh, yes, no, meh, nonplussed <laughs> as I did, uh, what was it, just uh, four episodes ago, um, uh, Flowbots. Flowbots, oh, yes. the second to last track where it was just them, you know, talking to, 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 to kids, yeah. trying to, you know, their little focus group kind of thing. The teaching and bit. It wasn't really music. Not that, of course, this is music. It's a very different situation, but I guess because it was, they're both penultimate tracks. Yeah. You know, they kind of exist in a the space. There's not much to say about them. Right. All right. Track 11. The final track. Oh, and it is a long one. Masseuse. Ten minutes. So, we saved the, the longest for last. Fun fact, I don't often see masseuse written often, so I did look at it and go, wait, what word is that? At first. Ma- masseuse. 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 You ask me your Masseuse. So, here's my issue with this track at the forefront, and then we'll go into talking about it in more detail. You know, just to round out my time as intro man. Intro man. Um, we, we, we have the off guitar that we've heard before, but it's really focused in here and sharp as we get the intro sounding as bizarre as his guitar has always sounded. But, you know, what's really interesting here is for the first time, I think, on the whole record, we do get a steady, a steady set of percussion. Well, no. It, it's been, there's been a lot of steadiness. The, the big thing here is that I guess it's kind of... We've returned to maybe the two other more upbeat, yeah. livelier tracks. That's that kind really of like what it is. And to enter and to kind of mm-hmm. back and forth for that for a while, but using that wonky uh, structure um, or soundscape, <laughs> then <laughs> you end up, of course, 
I I, I, I want to kind of rush ahead through this track because, of course, it, it's it's um a vast track, and I don't think we're going to be spending too much time on it. But I I do want to say that it borrowed a lot up up to about the four minute mark. This was borrowing very heavily from many previous tracks. Yes. This felt like that that word that we always search for and we can never find, but we want to say like overture. But at the end. Which is, you always correct me snarkily as a yeah. conclusion. Yeah, that overture as a conclusion is a complete misnomer. Nevertheless, uh, it, 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 that's what this is in a sense, just because really, if you look closely at even the melodies this time, the melodies themselves, they they feel really like just certain phrases of them are borrowed from earlier in the album. And I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm sure he didn't just, you know, fall asleep one day and just assemble this track and right. forget the fact that all these other tracks are extremely unique. I think that was his idea was to make this some kind of conclusionary statement that brings uh, everything together. It's there in the soundscape, it's there in the rhythms, it's there in the melodies, the overall structure itself, and those shifts happen fairly quickly. Like, at one point I'm like, you know, what, what, what track does this remind me? Oh, oh, this track reminds me of track four. Oh, wait, no, no, wait, oh, we're on something different now. Oh, this part, oh, this part reminds me of track, track two, and it's happening like rapid fire, mm-hmm. and so uh, after a while I just kind of stopped trying to follow it. it. But it fits the story. Because the story is touching on a lot of the themes that we were getting throughout the album. Something that was a little bit darker and wonkier with, like, Ogre and Hob. I mean, we have elements where the masseuse is killing a monk in to try to steal the pin. The pin of Quib, which grants people eternal beauty. So we, we start off as, as sort of like... Uh, a hearsay moment of okay, I'm hearing about this this pin that can give you eternal beauty, and then you're going to go after it, and you're going to start doing a little bit of things. So it's a normal person that starts getting wrapped up in a story that becomes darker, that becomes a lot more desperate as we go along, which is fitting a lot of the themes that were built into this album. It's getting a little bit of um, well, you, you discover that fortune is all fool's gold by the end of it, as the pin is nothing more than a, a piece of stone that doesn't actually do anything besides keep the person alive. And now this masseuse has to be the caretaker of said pin. So your conclusion of, I once could see, but now I am blind, and all sense of the world is lost, lost, lost. Like, fortune's folly going on right here. Mm-hmm. Okay, the story, I really like the story. It's it's a timeless kind of a tale, but it is still very well presented. The imagery is great in the lyrics. The music. The right. Yeah. No, come on. The writing. The writing is still superb. Yeah, I am the tired. I, that's what I'm talking about. I am tired of men of needing the knots from their bulbous backs and necks and rinsing their filmy water from this mew of tiles. When I heard tell of the pin of quib, straight away I knew I had to hold it at all costs. So he's actually a masseuse. <laughs> it's it's a, like legit. It's a great story. Like it may be extremely familiar as far as a moral story goes, but it is extremely well written. It's it's up to par, if not a little bit better than most of this album. But the music problems. Well, so mm. I, I don't I don't want to consider it a music problem at first. I mean, something that we haven't touched on musically is that the bridges between each verse function as bridges have throughout this record this moment of oddity this moment to stand out 
and then transition us somewhere. And it stays pretty steady doing that till about the seven minute mark. Well, almost. no, there's, there's something that, I, that came before that. I, I previewed it later that about four minutes in, uh, we we cease the sort of, you know, call and, uh, you know, response, callbacks yeah. to certain things. Uh, but three, yeah, about four minutes in, all of a sudden to me, this went straight up doom metal. Mm. Like, it, yes, it added yes. much more heavy, you know, it sounded like this was electric guitar at this point, or at least the undercurrent of it, and that was uh, fairly unique for the track. Um, but yeah, I know the other shift that you're talking about that was much later, around like seven, eight minutes, uh, the final little quiet down when everything gets a lot softer, and then after that, ah, children's choir again, falsetto sounding. Um, but it, it uh, like, we have heard that, but in context of the latter portion of this track, which I do think was fairly unique, though at that point I had kind of checked out of its overall arc, I was, yeah, I was, I was a little mis, mismatched, misplaced. I, I wasn't really sold on the doom metal part. It ended up just coming across cacophonous to me. I understand, uh, again, as we've said a few times, artistically what it's trying to convey. Um, I did like how it slowed down around seven minutes and forty-two seconds. We got an instrumental part B that does give way to the chorus. He's singing. You were talking about. I think that transition was fairly smooth. All things considered, and I did like steeping in the last three minutes or so of the track, um, but I do feel like that middle chunk was a little arduous for me. I, I am going to flat out say, considering I don't have many critiques for this record, but this is my one critique as far as a concluding track that was not the best choice, I think, just to do callback material. He has clearly an imagination, yeah. you know? I think track track 11, the final thing, could have been just a little bit more unique. I don't know, maybe he visualized this as being unique in context. I, I wanted new material from a 10 minute track at least i didn't really want a clip show you know if i'm wrong in categorizing this as a clip show then just take it for what it is it's the sensation of it as a clip show whereas many other tracks have taken me to wildly different places just give me something new for 10 minutes and unless anybody has anything further to add i will be going into the wrap-up pause for effect okay pause over um I have a lot of critical things to say about this album on a soundscape level because there, I could almost point to a little part here and there from track two onward that was just like, okay, that was a little bit in a range I did not enjoy. And some of them were, I had to point out because they were much larger in range than just a moment. And the album as a whole is heavily steeped in something that is very old, which is to its benefit and to its fault. While the new texture of this wonkiness in the guitar, in the overall style of that instrument, in the overall style of his vocals, is new, it, it's in some ways a, a very quality amateur, which I, I guess is... I don't know, just from, from the description of him. I don't know him. I have no idea who this person actually is, but it kind of I, it kind of seems to be what his bio says. He, he's been met with a lot of critical success, though. I don't want to completely, like, undersell him in that regard. Like, when, but, he, when but, he, in his latent success, when he, it's not like he was working toward this this whole entire time. Exactly. When he finally went for it, he was met with a lot of praise. Like, like that's what I mean, though. Like he has, he doesn't seem to have any formal training. Like he seems to be the opposite. Don't of know what any that, of that. Can't say any of that for sure. With it out being mentioned, I mean, it, it feels like he's, he's the guy that picked up the guitar and discovered he could do it. Like, just, just do it. Just be able to produce something that, 
was a, was different that people took notice of. Um, him choosing something that is fifteen hundred ish years old, a thousand years old, is to to say odd would would be a little bit of an understatement. But the presentation feels very fresh, feels very new because we're being coupled with. Um, a little bit of cheekiness that I find in modern day music, um, especially the last decade and a half to two decades, or even maybe a little bit earlier. Maybe, maybe it started in the '80s with like punk. Like it reminds me in a lot of ways of, of, of the attitude you would have gotten in something like punk or grunge, but instilled in a sound that I would never consider punkish. I mean, that's 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 a weird place to be drawing lyrics from, but I I feel it. I want to say so many bad things about this album. I said a bunch of them, but honestly, they they feel like more faults of my own than anything else. And I'm going to be right up front with that. In fact, I was I hammed it up a little bit, but I saw a lot of this when we were doing this discussion. I hammed it up a little bit with Steve saying that I got a lot of bad things to say about this album, and he was like, "Oh, he scoffed at me like right away. Like, how can you find bad things?" And I, I still think they're there, but there's so much quality going on right on this album there's so much compositional work that is just really staggering um i i really just want to fault it in that parts of it were hard for me to hear and i know i'm not alone because matt heard some of those and even steve conceded of one or two of them little points i concede more than that and it was though it was inappropriate for me to scoff um i am surprised uh perhaps given some of the albums that you have brought on that you know, you there wasn't more of an setting. immediate looking past of those things. It's setting, I think, and it's specifically like I physically felt things like in my ears that I did not enjoy. Yeah, and that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, so I'm I'm uh, I think I'm actually going to be coming a little bit out of left field from Steve's point of view up until this point. Um, four point four. Like this is a really solid album. I thoroughly enjoy. I think it's got so many artistic points. I love. Um, I probably would have enjoyed, I don't know where I could have gotten above a 4.5, but there's something I think in its older nature that may be holding it back to no fault of its own. All right, my turn. Um, let's be blunt about some things that we talked about with this album, his vocals and his guitar playing. Um, uh, first his vocals. So yes, there are moments that feel like he's intentionally breaking, warbling, shifting or even singing out of key per se finger quotes i have no shortage of artists i like who are not gifted singers per se you know especially in the comedy realm people like weird al and the lonely island sometimes they are very gifted singers and rappers most of the time they're hamming it up same with weird al weird al also is a very talented singer and rapper a lot of the time but he also often hams it up I think what's interesting to me about this album is the consistency of the hamming it up. Yes, this may just be how he sings. Again, if John's assumptions are correct, and we don't really know, I haven't at least read his bio in depth, if he doesn't have any formal training, then it'd be very easy to sing this way. Because you're singing where your gut tells you to go, you're not going to melodically sound perfect. I know that as someone who likes to sing, but doesn't always stay in key. Um, the guitar, I mean, he's not the first musician to do something like this, but on an album scale is a different story. Um, one of my favorite stories about the Goo Goo Dolls is one of their earliest songs, and I'm blanking on the name of it now. The lead singer of the Goo Goo Dolls, his guitar was out of tune when he wrote it, and so he has a guitar tuned for just playing that song. 
because it was written out of tune and is performed and recorded out of tune. And so he has one guitar set aside, always in, tuned into that key or whatever it is. This is that to like the nth degree because the, the guitar is broken. It's a fact. But he uses it anyway, and it clearly sounds like things are off when he's playing it. I mean, that is such a unique concept. Now, someone could just say, well, it's a broken guitar. It sounds broken, and I hate it. Sure. I mean, you can look at music very superficially like that in plenty of cases. So I can't fault someone for that. It did stand out and put me off at certain moments. But, you know, this is one of those things where I didn't get an aha moment about the theme halfway through while we were listening. It was very obvious from the very beginning based on the soundscape and lyrics we got. Very clear to hear what he's saying. Very clear to understand the story in most cases. And so theme and arc are dead set locked as probably some of the best theme and arc we've seen all year, for sure. Um, I think this is this comes down to a thing that I experienced with the paper chase, but on the other side. Paper chase, I say, I always say, impacted me to the point of disconcerting me, and that's why I rated it so highly, because of how it shook me on an emotional level. Here, I really enjoyed a lot of this record. Emotionally, it didn't, like, shake me to my core, but I felt what he wanted me to feel very often just due to his lyrics. The melody helped, for sure, but his lyrics did a lot of the heavy lifting, and I didn't mind that. Um, you know, I just don't think as a whole it's an album I'm going to go back to a lot. I think there are tracks that I really enjoy. I think it's solid in its construction, its composition, and its writing. Um... You know, as far as doing the whole old song and dance of, oh, I've heard these sounds before. I can't really do that here. Yes, I've heard folk before, and I've heard medieval music before. But this is approaching it unlike anything I've heard before. Um, so it's hard for me to not put it in the upper echelon. And I've plenty of times in the past put albums in the upper echelon that I just wasn't behind. Like, hoorah, I love this album. It's because I'm taking myself out of the equation a little bit. But it's not, it's not, it doesn't blow me away in the upper echelon because there's a connectivity gap that's still here. And in ba other bands that I've rated as a 4.8, a 4.9 and higher, there's some level of connectivity that surpasses logic, as it were, in some cases. And I'm still sometimes outside of myself with this record. So for me, it's a 4.5. I think it's in the upper echelon. I think it's doing some really amazing things. Um, I agree with Steve. I think the, the final track is kind of a letdown, and even no one before it, it just serves a purpose. You know, I'm not tanking the album just on that, but that's one of the moments that stood out to, the, to me the most. And also, I don't enjoy Shapeshifter. I think it's off, and I don't think it's really supporting the musical arc. Art artistically, it is. Instrumentally, I still have reservations. All of that aside, though, I really do think it's a solid record. And I'm grateful to have heard it because I would have never believed it had existed before. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have. Like, and I still am at a loss to explain this in a three-word pitch to somebody. Like, To recommend this, I would have to go listen to my episode on my podcast because I don't know what the hell to tell you. That's so right. that's where I fall with a 4.5. I won't deny that I had a little bit of writer's block during this episode. Uh, but you're a podcast. What do you have? What do you need to have writers block for? What are you writing? Uh, come on now. <laughs> so you think honestly, some of the, you know, the the 
more intricate points that I do have to summon during these albums uh, is all off the top of my head. No, a lot of it is taking a lot of deliberation in how I kind of want to approach this. I'm constantly like scratching things out and putting new things in. Sometimes it's just analytical breaking down. Sometimes I'm really trying to get to the heart of how I really feel about a certain section. So, you know, the podcast drifts back and forth between me just kind of saying things off the top of my head from memory, from the gut, and then also um, reading certain things that I've really prepared. And I... I have an easier time with that, especially in recent weeks, you know, when I'm talking about other areas of music. But this album, its strength is so tied up in melody that it becomes almost inexplicable. I, I can't, it, it's so difficult to put into words, even though melody is the act of putting music into words. words. Yeah. <laughs> and yet I can't break it apart. The fact of the matter is, melody is impossible to break down in terms of whether you like it or not. The, the question, in fact, do you like that melody is almost like the question, do you like yourself? Like, sure, for all morals of, you know, self-love and all that, if you just flat out said yes and left at that with no, no little, you know, uh, uh, asterisks at the bottom, then you're a potato. You're, you're <laughs> a, just a potato in space. Why even live life if there's nothing to improve, nothing to fix, nothing to speak about it? <sighs> And that's just the way it is about melody. It's a complicated question. You have to get at, like, the heart of where you are, what your soul is all about. I know that's very metaphysical. It's not very uh, musical analytical of me. But different conversations for different albums. In math rock, yeah, sure, I'm going to just have a blast breaking it down, you know, structure by structure by structure. And I can tell you objectively why this is freaking awesome and no one else can do it. This, I can't. I can't tell you that. I just know that there is a camp for Richard Dawson, and there is a camp that probably isn't. I, I, I the rest of the music, I, I think we've just we've said enough about it. I don't want to add to that discussion. That stuff is almost secondary because it follows along with his melodies. He plays along to whatever fits the chord progression. Everything surrounds that initial melody, and I personally find a whole heap of amount of talent in that. I think that melodies are some of the hardest things to write, yet at the same time, I think it's one of the only things that you can actually kind of say in like a wave of the hand fashion, you just gotta have the talent. And I never like music to be a discussion about that. Like, usually it's, you know, you put in the hours, you know, you, you work at it, you're gonna be, you're gonna be amazing. I, I wanna say that to every aspiring musician out there, and it's true with almost everything else. You can get chops, but are you going to be a great melodicist in terms of coming up with a melody that will attach itself to people, that they're going to be singing later, that will become popular? I don't know if these are gonna become popular to everybody, but I do know that I listened to this album once, like maybe three weeks ago, and then I did have to put it down for a few days. I had stuff that came up and I didn't come back to the album, and just on that first listen, chorus and verse would just come back at me from that one listen. Part of it is also his natural timbre. That, the talent doesn't even come into question, you know? Maybe it was some choices that for him to sing in a certain way, but I do think a lot of it is his, just his natural voice and his accent. A lot of that is there, and maybe the parts in which he kind of old-worldizes it a little bit there. But that, that combination of factors just attached itself to me in a very, very strong way. So, yeah... Uh, many people cannot write like that. As for the parts of this album, I, like, one through seven, tracks one through seven, I adore. I have no qualms. Literally no qualms at all except one guitar solo in Prostitute. Uh, from track seven on, I saw a little bit of the lingering. 
like the the all right where's the new thing that should be a, a that's a lot to ask at that point considering how many times he's just sort of wowed me uh barring inflection and all that stuff even the times where i thought it was a little bit weird um how much does that like bring me down from the high that i was on I'm giving it a good faith extra point one than upper echelon. I think this is an upper echelon piece. I think that there's so much there in the core writing that I have to put it in the upper echelon. But this is a 4.6 for everything that it offers and the fact that there is absolutely no one else in the world like Richard Dawson for all of the pointless comparisons that we, we had in abundance. Sure. And I think that's also why I led myself to the comedy artists I referenced because often those kinds of comedy artists also are unlike anybody else. Like, there is no one to compare Weird Al to. He's the guy. And, and that you know what? That's the, the other thing, too. We live, we're living in an age now with so much callback, you know, like, hey, if it's popular, do something in that style. Yeah. And there's no, there's no even consideration of that. In the, what niche of the world is, like, really into, you know, dark age minstrel songs? I know there's a thing there, but, like, even they don't go as deep as he did. And you if know, you're a dark it. age minstrel songwriter, you want to send hate mail to steve.nagel at crashcords.com. You've got to do it at least once. It's I'll true. read it. I'll read it. I'll read it on air and say, you're you're weird, man. You're really <laughs> weird. <laughs> Call on all lovers. Well, we, <laughs> Come yeah. get us. Although, I guess, hey, whatever. Richard Dawson just made me one. So right. now I have to write hate mail to me, <laughs> that's, <laughs> technically. That's fair. Um, but this actually brings me to an interesting thing that I think would m- make for a really nice quickie topic that doesn't really require a lot of um, overthinking research or heavy analytics shoot i think we should the three of us should go around and if we could pick an instrument that was broken that we'd want to write around what would it be i mean i feel like i know steve's answer (laughs) because i I know what he plays but give me the the benefit of Of just a minute so someone else can go first yeah i'll go first so obviously this album is all framed around this one unique guitar that just sounds a little off and Something that's interesting to me, just because as someone who can't play any instruments except guitar, barely, like I know my scales, barely, um, I think it'd be really interesting to have some kind of reed instrument, maybe, that was busted. A clarinet or a saxophone. I think I'll hone in on a saxophone. A saxophone where maybe some of the holes are warped, like the front, the front end where the sound ultimately comes out of is warped. Because I think about um, The Simpsons, and not necessarily in a joking fashion, but like Lisa's obsession with the saxophone. Mm-hmm. And then it takes me to the video game version, the arcade video game version of The Simpsons, where you fight in Bart's Nightmare stage the evil saxophones that when you hear them, they ring out with these screeches. Mm. And I, th- I think about what kind of cool soundscapes can I make with a screech that rings out like that tonally with. Uh, a warped saxophone, and so I think that's the instrument I would go with. Actually, I'm 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 probably copping out on this one, but I love rhythm. I <laughs> no, love we know. rhythm, and my electronic is full of it. Um, I I like drums. I would love to be able to just and people do this. That's that's, that's probably true. where I'm going to it. I love unique caliber of drum work, of rhythm section work, and you can find it by basically hitting anything you want with anything <laughs> else. So just exploring that aspect of music is something, you know what, I don't have to do it, it's already been done, and I thoroughly love working with a, like a broken drum set, a drum set that's using a caliber of noises that we have to like, well what does it sound like? Well it sounds like a stick hitting stone, Mm -hmm. like that's, that's the sound it makes, but it's a drum, 
and it's a rhythm section. And I love working in that sort of an area. I love hearing that sort of an area where you get the metallic, but the metallic that's kind of glassy and has a little bit of an edge to it that feels like it's going to break off right at the end because you're breaking the instrument. Things like that are just a texture level that I thoroughly enjoy. And one of the main reasons why I go to things like electronica, because you can replicate that sort of beat work without having to find a broken glass drumstick to play on a metal drum. Yes, that was a cop-out. Yeah, it was a cop-out. I'm just I mean, you know, well, it's it, a, but it's fine. It's a cop-out because, mainly because that's the most common of them all. Yeah. Every object is a drone. But I love it. That's the whole... I can't get away from it. I love that. And to be able to work with that is is something I would love to do. To just Fair enough. I did ask how your connection to it, so that's fair. <laughs> so, there you go. Glass mug box clipboard. Matt. Matt <laughs> oh, don't Matt me. didn't make a sound. I uh, made a sound, but sound. not it, by impact. It sounded like ow. answer your question, I wanted to do that joke where I was going to be like... After much consideration and that instrument that I play, <clears throat> the piano, and considering all the other instruments out there, I have chosen the piano. But I wouldn't. Right. But no, really, the, the main reason is actually because pianos are stubborn fucks. <laughs> <laughs> when a piano doesn't work, it is nothing but frustrating. Yeah. Like, a piano with has one off key... That co- key's not going to cooperate. You can't do shit with it. I've hit a broken key, and when it when you get that unsatisfying... Like yeah, the, the it's th- the saddest thing. It's disappointing. <laughs> All of the other times where I like had the chance to like show off, you know, my there were, oh god, there was pianos in the dorm buildings back in college. Just a couple of them, right? These pianos probably were like forty years old. They were in the basement. They hadn't been tuned in god knows how many years. And I think I was like freshman year, and I I had told my friend, oh yeah, play piano, blah blah blah. I'm like, oh yeah, play, play for us, play for us. I took one sit down in it, and I was like, oh god. Oh God! They think I suck because if we listen yeah. to the piano and how it sounds, it's like, yeah, that was nice. How are you going to explain to them that pianos have freaking twelve thousand parts, and you know any percentage of those that don't work are just going to basically destroy your entire craft that you've been studying for years and years and years? So no, it is not the piano. Give me a pristine. pristine Steinway, perfected by a technician every week, never have it broken. That's my answer to that. Uh, I don't know. I don't have an answer because that's all I think. That's all I play. Yours is as good as any, honestly, because I said in the beginning that I actually, all right, you went woodwinds, I'll go brass. Okay. The very beginning of this um, album is a little bit proof of that just because of the fact that I get any variety of brass that sounds misshapen and I'm in another world. Just because you don't hear brass that much in modern music. Yeah. Like it is one of the lesser used because it's such an overpowering instrument. Sure. It doesn't, like, people haven't, again, there are always genres out there that are the exception to this rule, but a general rule of thumb, most people haven't really sat down to say, hey, let's integrate this into pop, and I mean integrate it, don't just use it as, like, the the little session musician <laughs> thing in, like, a, a spotlighted, you know, uh, five-second clip. I mean a fully integrated, you know... Uh, trumpetist, trombonist in a band that is overall more rock or more just any other kind of modern genre. But you have to change it up, you have to experiment with it and find out ways to make it work. So uh, yeah, let's go any brass instrument. Ska. 
I see. Yeah, yeah, I knew that. I knew you were gonna like. I knew that that was the one example. <laughs> yeah. But that's only one kind of genre. Yeah. And they and really it's not do very common. only one thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to. Actually, I do enjoy though coming up with this topic to get you to go on a rant about your uh, about piano playing. So was, I'll take it. That was excellent. Yeah, I enjoyed I that it. actually. Yeah. All right. Because I that. will get you to play piano on this podcast someday. Oh jeez. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. Yeah, you're gonna lug a piano into your. Uh, no, you're gonna lug your, your keyboard and you're gonna jack in and play thing thing. I'm I'm still harping on that. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, I've moved on from thing thing man. Now he's got stuff stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that was good, John. I'll give you that. That was good. I'm actually considering this. <laughs> Follow up EP. All right. Why yours. don't you give us our music uh, term I of the day? As wasn't it were. even thinking of this when I selected the term of the day, but man, what a lead in. Big clue, by the way, since you have to guess, what is the embouchure? That is a terrible clue. Yeah, really. Uh, The The embouchure? Connected to, like I I told you it was connected. It's a good lead-in from what we were just discussing. Embouchure. From what I was just discussing. The, the... The, to- the, the no 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 the, uh, it's a tool used to from what me fix and Matt piano. were both discussing oh, different no. area different I'm, area I'm, man I thought it was a discussion different know. area I'm, I'm okay bye uh, the embouchure no no um you had a discussion you should know this uh, yeah I guess so um from it, what me and you were just discussing what's the common trait piano piano yeah no. Oh, oh. That, that was a side conversation. Oh, oh, oh it's the a tone. blowing. It's a blowing instrument. It's a, something to do with a blowing, a blowing instrument, instrument, an air instrument, Good like, a, like a brass or a woodwind. Oh, That's what you guys were just talking about. The way about. in which a player applies the mouth to the mouthpiece of a brass or wind instrument. Oh, it was close. Nah, I knew it had really. to do with wind. All right, I it's a weird failed. French term for that. You know, like Screw a brass player. I'm a quarter I, point because I was closer no. than you. At least Stop. I remembered. You got please. it. Eventually, you got yeah, you got another ballpark. Well, the point 100%. is, the point is, it is yeah. Like you know, brass players they have to create that kind of buzzing sensation, mm-hmm. but it's all about the tilt and whether you're like coming in from like a high angle or a low angle. It's like playing pool or something. <laughs> like the high, the high roll, the low roll. It, it's uh, very weird. I I never have even attempted playing a brass instrument. I don't even think the opportunity has ever come up in my life. I I might. Have, I feel like I've played a trumpet at some point, but not well. Maybe like sure. maybe like third grade. They had. They like were like, hey, this. is We all had recorders at some point. True. Yeah. They, everybody had a recorder. I, yeah. I went to from the recorder to. I briefly played, played saxophone between third and fourth grade. Not I, well. I, played I imagine. Old McDonald Farm, and I nailed it by all the right. end of the whole year. All right. <laughs> it took me a year. I, I my recorder very quickly broke. Yeah, broke finger quotes. Right. Well, no, we, it was instantly a. Um, sword, because one <laughs> right. must fight for one's honor when one is bored. That's fair. We had one uh, crazy embellished part to that old MacDonald had a farm. It was like da 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 da, dramatic holding the note. Da 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 Okay. I don't know. He was like, he was idea. It was my band teacher. He's okay. dead. He's dead now. That's, that's really sad. Yeah. That's, that's really sad. Why would you do that? <laughs> like two years after we why, had the class, too. It was very sad. Yeah, we were all he totally told brought that. us down. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm he, had go- all, he was a cool teacher, too. He had all these he's, he's Star Wars figurines, like, around the entire class. He was this awesome guy. Dr. Kaplan, we miss you. All right. A random dedication. But sure, I'm, I'm for it. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Moving on to what we're doing next in the next episode. Um, there's a little bit of backstory to it. And I think I mentioned I've mentioned this before, but I may not have. So me and Steve are fans of the band Phoenix, and they had just put out a new record, which I was excited to do because we hadn't done them on the podcast, and me and Steve at least were fans of their work. 
But Steve had told me that there were um, some problems with it, and I gave it a listen. And upon a couple of listens, while I enjoyed it, I didn't really feel like being an advocate for it because I felt like it would be similar to my advocacy for flogging Molly, that there's things I love about it, but I'd have trouble articulating how to defend it. But it did want me to find, since Phoenix pretty much falls into indie rock, an indie rock band that I felt was doing something interesting. And so I found the Brooklyn-based Beach Fossils and their newest record, Somersault. Um, I I think they have one previous record besides this one or two. They're fairly recent. Um, and they do some really interesting stuff from song to song. It actually may, reminds me a bit of um, the album Take a Vacation we did way, way back when. Yeah, by uh, Young Baines. And so... I thought this would be interesting to bring on because I had also been struggling to find something that captured what that did because I really liked that record. So, not to build them up too much, and they're not exactly like the Young Veins. I don't want to commit a, a hymn heresy here and compare it to a genre that it's actually not. <laughs> but I thought Beach Fossils' album was really interesting and they were doing some interesting things with indie rock. So we're going to take that on next. So please tune in for that. Continue to enjoy this week of awesomeness. And we will see you next time. Remember, music is life. And, and life, life is, is good. good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.